Hey, Tim. Yeah, what's up, man? Well, before we get into this whole episode that we're about to do, mm-hmm. guess what comes first? What? We need to warn the good listeners out there because, unfortunately, we are going to get into a whole mess of... Spoiler alert, I'm going to say spoiler. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very nice. This is Central Control Stand by... Welcome back to our extraordinarily long Batman show. We last left at the end of the 90s and saw what happened to Batman. Now we push into the 2000s to see what will become. Switching channels over to TV to see what the Dark Knight's up to. In 2002, there is a TV show made, uh, probably I would imagine, off the success of Smallville. Uh And so this one's called Birds of Prey. Legend tells of a caped crusader, Batman, guardian of New Gotham, and his one true love, Catwoman, the queen of the criminal underworld. Their passion left behind something extraordinary, a daughter, Huntress. Half metahuman, she has taken up her father's mantle and fights to protect the innocent and helpless. This was a very short-lived show, apparently, but uh, has uh, some perks to it. I, it does carry over the uh, look of Tim Burton films, mm-hmm. and then it also has Mark Hamill coming in to play the Joker in two episodes. So that's pretty cool. Okay. Switching over to the cartoon side of things for Batman, in 2004 there was another cartoon called The Batman, which follows the Dark Knight early in his career. Uh I'm sure since Warner was doing Batman Begins and it was an early production, they probably thought, hey, let's do a preemptive strike and uh, get some content of Batman early in his career out there already before the movie comes out. That way it warms people up. But uh, it's a pretty cool cartoon. It's not as good as Batman the Animated Series, but uh, it definitely has its own unique style for sure. Okay. How'd you do that? I'm the Batman. And one thing to note is that Marvel in 1998 comes out with Blade, starts beating up the silver screen, and they start dominating the landscape. And so they're coming out with X-Men, huge hit, and then, of course, Spider-Man dominates. And so Warner in DC is like, well, we can't let this happen, so we have to come back with something Batman-esque at least. And so in 2004, they do that. Looking back on it now, dying was the best thing that ever happened to me. With Catwoman. Oh, yeah. With Halle Berry, yeah. Yep, a $100 million film about Halle Berry as Catwoman battling Sharon Stone's villain of cosmetology? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. You don't win a Razzie without a lot of help from a lot of people. So, first of all, I want to thank Warner Brothers. Thank you for putting me in a piece of shit god-awful movie. 
So, of course, Warner knows that they have the Batman property. It can make them money if they do it right, but yeah. how do they do it right? They just don't know what to do. So they start putting feelers out right. to filmmakers and saying, would you be interested? And if you would, what new interpretation would you do? Because we don't want to do what we did before. So that's when that escapes out to the rumor mill, and then that starts taking right. on a new life of, hey, maybe there's going to be a new Batman film coming out yeah. soon. Yes. Right, so much so that when you start hearing the talk years later of, mm -hmm. you know, this another Batman movie and they're going to start from the very beginning and you right. I, I remember I remember being like oh fucking a right I have zero interest in going to see this right. movie yeah no I remember having friends at the time that was in the comic books just like myself yeah. and hearing the rumblings that uh, Warner was interested in doing a new uh, movie of Batman mm. and exploring the how he became Batman and maybe even doing an adaptation of uh, Batman year one by Frank Miller mm -hmm. and then they threw out the name Darren Aronofsky and and my friends and I was like, holy shit, that's going to be awesome. Well, for those of you, just real quick, for those of you who don't know, Darren Aronofsky is famous. His oh. Pie was his breakout movie, Requiem for a Dream. Right, great. And uh, uh, The Fountain with yep. Hugh Jackman. Mm -hmm. And what's and the, then the, the, Natalie the other ones later? Oh, Black Swan Black is the Swan. big one. Yeah. It's my turn. Also around this time, there was a filmmaker by the name of Christopher Nolan who had done a film for Warner Brothers in 2002 called Insomnia with Al Pacino and Robin Williams. He decides to go to Warner Brothers and pitch them his version of what he would do with Batman. Mm -hmm. I first became interested in, in taking on Batman when I heard that Warner Brothers was looking to renew and reinvent the franchise. I'd uh, made my last film at Warner Brothers, so I was able to go to them and explain to them the way I saw the Batman franchise being interestingly reinvented. From the beginning, my interest was in taking on a superhero story, but treating it in a realistic fashion. So Nolan very smartly decided to go to a comic book lover and writer who had recently just uh, broke into movies by writing the Blade films and asked him, hey, how should I do this Batman film? And that writer was uh, David... Uh, Goyer. Right. I said, if I did do it, this is what I would do, and you can just have my ideas for free. And, and I talked for about an hour and spitballed a large amount of what the film is. And Chris said, wow, that sounds great. He went away again for a few more days. I got a call again saying, you have to do this, you have to do this. I guess he's just such a big fan of the character, he couldn't resist carving out the time to just come on board and work out the story with me and then write the first draft. And so it, the rumors out there are saying that Aronofsky's left and they got a new guy coming in, and but the movie's still going to try to follow a, a year one-esque kind of uh, vibe. And and let me ask you real quick. Mm -hmm. This is more, you know, from the comic book knowledge. Right. Is year one about the League of Shadows and all that? No, no. Uh, year one is basically just about Bruce's decision. He wants to do something for the city. He becomes Batman to help the city and his journey to do that in a very short little amount of time. But it doesn't show his training or anything like that. Batman Year One's a huge influence on, on the middle portion of the film and, and on the tone of the whole film. It certainly sort of pointed us in, in a specific direction. Uh, but at the same time, Year One sort of picks up 45 minutes into our film, if you know what I mean. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole section before Miller picks up his story that, that hadn't been explored that seemed to me to be a very rich uh, source of inspiration. And, uh, and that's a story that it's never been dealt with on screen. And uh, even in the comics... 
strangely, there's never really been a definitive account of that origin. You have uh, treatments of it in, uh, you know, in flashback and montage and so forth. So there are these great, uh, what David Goyer and I would refer to as the, the mileposts, the sort of known bits of history. But within that, there's all kinds of freedom to explore things and flesh things out and really fill a, a bit of a gap in pop culture or, or try to and that's what uh, we've, we've tried to do with this film A League of uh, Shadows which was actually in the comics League of Assassins that came in in the early like 70s or something like that along with Raza Ghul so he was uh, Raza was uh, the head of the League of Assassins aka Shadows but and so that was really pulled from the comics right okay the League of Shadows has been a check against human corruption for thousands of years we sacked Rome loaded trade ships with plague rats, burned London to the ground. Every time a civilization reaches the pinnacle of its decadence, we return to restore the balance. Gotham isn't beyond saving. The, the fact that they were going to try to tell Bruce Wayne's full origin story was, was very interesting, but at the same time, for me anyway, as a comic book fan, I was just like, um, you might be biting off a little more than you can chew or trying to answer things that might not work. And what they got to f- get away from that just ended like 10 years ago <laughs> right yeah you're having to get over the baggage from the previous films for, to the fans yeah but also imagine like getting this story together going to warner brothers and pitching this film which mm-hmm. I, i'm imagining may have been a, a hard sell at first because you're basically pitching to warner brothers hey i want to make a batman film but batman won't show up for like 50 minutes in the film or something like that mm-hmm. because i'm sure warner brothers execs were probably like well th- but that's our toy. <laughs> right. How are we going to sell toys if the guy doesn't even show up for, you know? And so yeah, right. that was the obstacle, too, I'm imagining. But luckily, someone said yes. Right. <laughs> so if you have a script that's greenlit, you have to go looking for your perfect Batman now, right? Some of the alternatives for uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, Batman and Chris Nolan, the most famous one we all know is Killian Murphy. Right who was like, you know, him and Nolan are two peas in a pod, apparently. And that you can go online and find the, uh, the he's in the suit uh, right. for the test, test, footage. F- test footage of him wearing the Dark Knight suit. And uh, it, I, he just, I guess he didn't fill it out enough. You know, he is a pretty right. ga- gaunt little dude. Yeah, yeah. You can see, though, that, like, Nolan was probably like, you know what, you'd fit better in this movie. Yeah, and Scarecrow. He ends up being Scarecrow. But, um, and he's great in Scarecrow, as yeah. Scarecrow. In my opinion, you need to lighten up. And just talking really quickly about Killian Murphy's uh, Scarecrow, I think it's brilliant what they did with this character because, you know, Killian Murphy has those striking blue eyes that, uh, I mean, you can read, I guess, as uh, sincere or kindness, but in this, they work as like this. Int- that those eyes kind of play into that almost insanity of that character, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah, and the, the way they play with the whole hallucinogen, you know, the Ex- whole throughout boom. the whole thing is super cool too. It gives yep. them dark, f- fucked up images and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, what I love about that: how they embrace that fear toxin and the images that it gives off. It's so great to see that because that's straight out of comic book stuff, and it's fantastical. But they still embrace it and uh, have, find a place for it in this movie that is more set in reality. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, who else do we got on the list? Hugh Dancy? Hmm. Billy Crudup, who I love and yeah. 
I think that could have worked. I could definitely see him, especially when you picture him. I could see him as the Bruce Wayne stuff. Really. Yeah. It's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Henry Cavill, who <laughs> was not no. ginormous at this point. No. If we think Wasn't of jacked. Right. You see uh, the Tudors right. with uh, Jonathan Rhys Meyers, the Showtime series about Henry VIII, and um, Henry Cavill plays his buddy, uh, and whose right. name whose name escapes me, but um, right. He's puny <laughs> compared to who he is now, who is like right. the biggest, most gigantic Superman as Superman you've ever seen. Most unrealistic muscles on that guy. Yeah, but they're real somehow. But they're real. I know. <laughs> That's so like, crazy. How do they CGI that everywhere? <laughs> right. And uh, so, uh, so after Henry, we got Jake Gyllenhaal, which I feel like he might have been too, a little too young at that point, right? Right. And well, you got to think too. 05 is Batman Begins, and he doesn't do Zodiac until 07. So look at how young he looks in Zodiac. Right, yeah. Right, right. so that kind of confirms what I'm saying. And then right. the other one, last but not least, Derek's favorite actor oh. of all time, Josh Hartnett. I remember them <laughs> announcing this as him in the running, and I was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then the film really had to refresh everyone's interest in Batman once again to come back to the movies. I mean, for the people who weren't comic book fans. I think a lot of the comic book fans, the minute they heard the concept, they were interested, and then the minute you saw a trailer, you were definitely interested in the way they were going with this film. Tell us, Mr. Wayne. What do you fear? So I was immediately like, yes, I want to see this. Yeah, and and so I remember this because we were living in the same town at the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, both our companionship over movies was <laughs> right, happening yeah. right you know and uh well i saw this movie opening weekend and so i told you that i saw it and i liked it you vocalized your disdain for batman movies so i just <laughs> left the subject alone i was like well okay i guess i'll enjoy it you won't so i remember my ex-wife was talking to you guys or something mm -hmm. about going to see the batman movie and all this shit and i'm like right. fuck that <laughs> fuck right. that movie there's no fucking way mm -hmm. it's gonna suck I'm not into it. Look at how bad that George Clooney shit was. There's no fucking way anybody can do anything with that. Right, yeah. All right, I'll go. <laughs> you know? Right. You know, because I'm like, oh, I don't want to miss out. You know, I don't want to miss out on hanging out with everybody. Right. So I, I, I remember go, we go to that movie, and mm -hmm. within 30 seconds, I'm like, just... Like this is this is amazing. This is amazing, and it just right. keeps getting better and better and better. And yeah, yeah, blew me the fuck away. And I came mm -hmm. out of there. It was like right. that same thing had happened to me with Raiders of the Lost Ark when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark, a film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Because I didn't get it, right? And I couldn't put it together that it was Steven Spielberg and George Lucas or who they were. You know right. what I mean? I wasn't putting. Any, and I'm just like, yeah. oh, it's this guy with a fucking whip and a hat, <laughs> and I don't know. Because my mom called me upstairs, and my sister and my father and mother were all upstairs, like talking about going to a movie. And when you're, you know, in the early '80s, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. That's like, oh. So right. I remember the they night out. See, yeah, then they said, <laughs> "Do you want to go to a movie?" And I'm like. Yeah. Sweet. What are we going to go see? And my mom says, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm like, I don't understand the title. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. All right. 
<laughs> so, you know, I begrudgingly, I go along with my family and end up walking out of there going, Oh my God, that's the best movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and it, I had a very similar experience with Batman Begins. <laughs> that is awesome, man. Yeah. Why bats, Master Wayne? Bats frightened me. This time my enemies shared my dread. Right, so I totally understand, one, your excitement for that movie, but yeah. two, I understand on the flip side of that coin, your uh, trepidation for going into Batman Begins. Yeah, because I was like, I'm not, I'm not going. Right. You know, yeah. I have no interest. So being that I had already saw the film opening weekend, this was a few weeks later, and then we went to see it. So on our way to the theater, I remember talking it up a bit. Yeah. And then right. when we finally got there, I remember while the movie's going, looking over at you just to see, is he, is he liking it? And seeing mm-hmm. the smile on your face getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And so I remember being happy, like, oh, okay, fine, he, cool, he's digging it. So we'll have something to talk about after we get out of here. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. In the case of um, Batman and, and this story, it, it's a question of finding the, the positivity in it. It's a question of saying, here is a character, like the protagonist of my other films, I think, who is driven by extraordinarily negative things. But what makes him a heroic figure, and it's something we had to constantly bear in mind, is the fact that he's able to channel these negative impulses into something positive, into something altruistic, something relating to helping other people rather than just the notion of personal vengeance. I always love, too, that Christopher Nolan didn't use the Joker right away, the safest play for villains, right, but he right. used Ra's al and he used the Scarecrow, two villains that I'm sure outside of the comic book nerd mm-hmm. was pretty unknown to regular audiences out there. So that was a bold move, and I love that he used those and really implemented them to the story, not just, hey, guess who's playing this villain? Yeah. For me, it's always, always about the script, and I wasn't exactly a big... Batman fan, but this this material was, I thought, just exceptional. And convincingly tells the story of how a character, Bruce Wayne, would end up dressing up in a weird, funky costume to fight crime. Also, two things that uh, Nolan uses that I absolutely love that he did was the no-kill thing, which if they would have went a little too left or too right on that, it would have been a little too cheesy and over the top for me, but I really love how he embraces it, and I believe it. Right. And then the other thing is the uh, using Batman as a symbol of hope for the city, and which is an overarching theme over all of the films that will be in this trilogy, and I just think that is beautifully done. Yeah, and, 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 and in the, the, the League of Shadows mm-hmm. thing, that, what is it, Duckard, or which is that? Right. Actually, Roz in disguise, but uh, <laughs> spoiler, <laughs> right? Is basically saying that's what we do. Is you, you mm-hmm. have to find, a, you know, uh, you have to create a symbol. He's telling him what he has to do. Right, exactly. And yeah. I love that he he learns that lesson from a villain and implements it for good. It's just a beautiful thing. E- easily could have been cheesy, but I love it. Raz Al Ghul rescued us from the darkest corners of our own hearts. What he asks in return is the courage to do what is necessary. I will go back to Gotham and I will fight men like this, but I will not become an executioner. Bruce, please. For your own sake, there is no turning back. And as far as when I heard that Christian Bale was cast as Batman, I was ecstatic about that because I thought, this guy's such a great actor. I was a fan of his, though, again. I loved a movie he did called Velvet Goldmine. And then, of course, American Psycho. American Psycho was one of my, one of my favorite movies. Right, brilliant. Right, yeah. Right. So I, I had no worries about it, especially when you kept hearing the cast list, like right. Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman and Rutger Howard and Liam Neeson and Killian Murphy. I mean, there was no way this movie was not at least, at the very least, going to be acted well. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I, it just, I mean, 
maybe as, as somebody who's English, I'm more open to more international casting. But truthfully, we just went after the best people for the role. So for them to venture into uh, Bruce Wayne's origin story and tell it, and not only tell it, mm -hmm. and fill in all of these gaps that no comic book nerd has ever right. heard about before, but nail it. And doing it well. Oh, right. man. Legitimate next-level geekies. <laughs> people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man... I'm flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol, as a symbol, I can be incorruptible, I can be everlasting. So, scooting on back over to our the theater experience you and I shared watching Batman Begins, yeah. I, keep, I keep having a look-see over at you, like I said, I already saw it, and uh, it gets to that end part where Gordon and Batman are talking next to when they show that there's a bat signal, right. and he introduces the uh, Joker card, oh, we're teasing the Joker here, <laughs> I, I'm looking at you, you're getting it, your smiles, I'm smiles, yeah. and then it gets to that end part that easily could have been cheesy, written off as the cheesiest oh, right. thing, and I keep looking at you because I'm like, this is going to either sell it to you, yeah. or it's going to be super cheesy and you're going to be like, ah, they kind of killed it with a little too over-the-top cheesy with that last line. I never said thank you. And you'll never have to. I was watching that movie in the first time and the second time, and when they say that line, I was just like, <laughs> won me over. My heart is yours, Batman Begins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so for me, going back to the car aspect of it and me being this fanatical car person mm -hmm. I remember seeing hints of the tumbler what what's become known as the tumbler and mm -hmm. just being really put that was something else that really put me off because <laughs> it doesn't have any of that Batman flair and I didn't right. get it I did not get that at all right until it fucking shows up in the movie And you're like, oh, I fucking get it. I don't know. Not only do I get it, this thing is fucking rad. Does it come in black? This is the coolest fucking thing I have ever fucking seen. <laughs> it is so badass. Yeah, no, totally. And uh, the, the fact that Nolan went through the trouble to mm. not make it like the other Batmobiles in the other movies where it was, uh, you know, built on some Buick chassis. And, right. you know, if you go over 45, the shit's going <laughs> to fall off. This thing is legit. And, and he's like, right. There's a, it's supposed to be this, you know, bridge layer device that jumps over canals or whatever. And yep. I want this thing to be able to do that. And so they manufacture this machine to literally be able to do these like 30, 40 foot jumps and not fall apart. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah. And, and that kind of, so going off of that and then bleeding into what the whole concept of Nolan's uh, trilogy is going to be is... Mm -hmm. It's almost, you know, granted there's some fantastical stunts and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. There is. He, he it, has to do that. He has he to. He has to because uh, if he didn't, yeah. he abandoned that, then he'd lose the comic book guys. Yeah. I would have. I would have been like, okay. But this almost, it feels as if this could be real. Mm -hmm. There's right. no fooey, flim flammy right. garbage going on. You know <laughs> what I mean? There's no hyper -re stylized real. Right. The Tumblr is something that kind of comes, the Batmobile becomes something that's built out of a military device you right. know what i mean and, and it, mm -hmm. it, it had a practical use in warfare and all that stuff and right. his outfit that he's you know that he builds the you know when he's going with lucius fox through the through the wayne tech yeah yeah and picking off the pieces and all that stuff and i'm like yeah, all this stuff is like legit tactical stuff and you know what I mean? and it's it's so fucking cool yeah yeah and 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 the way that nolan brings this kind of 
realism mm-hmm. to this Batman thing for me is everything I want. You know what I mean? Right. Because th- I don't have to like suspend belief in mm-hmm. much, very much. Right. You know, a few things here and there. But if you can believe in it, if you can relate it to the textures of everyday life, then I think you're taking the audience on a more extreme journey because things seem real and they're investing in the concrete reality of these things. Right. Well, uh, since we're on the tumbler, I will say that I love the sound of the tumbler in this, the way right. the engine sounds and the revs right. and the way the tires say, I mean, just all of it. Right, right. Love right. the sound of it. And so I remember being a little timid telling you that since you're such a car guy. <laughs> yeah. And because I was like, you're probably going to be like, man, they added a bunch of different special effects. That's not even how it's going to really sound. So I thought, uh-oh, here comes a lecture. But instead you were like, yes, I love it too. <laughs> combination of like this open header you know big block chevy with mm-hmm. the turbine of the engine spinning you know the jet engine too the right. combination of that and the, and kind of the whining of like uh straight cut gears and all that stuff that Ugh, just man it, uh, yeah my uh, it's literally the uh, the hair on my arms <laughs> are standing up as i'm talking about it because <laughs> right. that's the kind of shit that gets me i love it there's a story about Christopher Nolan that once he got his cast and crew, he took them to Warner Brothers in one of their screening rooms and showed them Blade Runner and then basically came out after the movie was over and said, this is how we're going to do Batman Begins because most of that was model work and practical effects. And if we have to use CGI, then we'll use it, but only a have-to basis. And, and that's so bold and so important mm-hmm. because right. this is the time of like hyper-stylized CG. And, oh, and yes. That's what helps kind of multiply that realism mm-hmm. of the movie that you know that taking batman and making this fantastical character seem like a real person right is by the, his surroundings are real i mm-hmm. mean granted i think in gotham he had to kind of in the first movie mm-hmm. he had to kind of uh exaggerate it here and there you know right. and yeah you know, like with the train and stuff like that is all cg and stuff mm-hmm. because it didn't exist well but. i think i mean that works too because what he's doing is taking a real cityscape and then building a city within that mm-hmm. making it a little more busy and compact and then putting that train that goes through the heart of the city and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so that works for me a lot better actually in this movie than any of the other movies just because i like that he's he's using a skyline i haven't seen before that's right. gotham city that's not chicago or new york or philadelphia or whatever uh-huh. that's gotham city and it makes it it gives it a unique feeling even in the realistic tone it gives it a unique enough feeling to where okay i'm still in this kind of fantasy world even though it may be skewed more towards realism it's still fantasy yeah, certainly Gotham is an exaggeration of, of a modern American city, but it's exaggerated not in the textures of it, but in the the larger elements of it. You know, we looked at different geographical features like the, the elevated freeways of Tokyo, lots of elements of New York, Chicago, bits of London, uh, Hong Kong, you know, the walled city of Kowloon, which which was this terrible slum that was demolished in, in Hong Kong some years ago. We've used that as the basis for our sort of worst slum area. So we were looking for these larger elements to, to express the exaggeration of socioeconomic elements that need to be there for the story, but have the textures always be contemporary and recognizable. And, well, and since we're talking about the movie, I will say that uh, you can tell that Christopher Nolan in this film is pretty new to action scenes 
scenes, like fighting scenes and stuff like that. Because as he says in one of the behind the scenes things, is that he wanted to shoot the action to where Batman was kind of mysterious and maybe even a monster lurking out there, and you don't quite see exactly him all in one cut. Kind of that thing. works for me. Oh, really? yeah. For me, no. I mean, it's definitely the action scenes are of the time uh-huh. because uh, it, that time it was very flash cutty and disorienting and discombobulating to where you're not sure what you saw, where was it, what happened just now. It's real kinetic. Yeah. And I just I don't like that style at all. And uh, he not only uses it for the Batman things, though. He, he uses it even in that opening scene with Bruce at the prison. You just can't tell what the hell's going on. And that's my only real beef with the movie is that I wish I could see a little bit more of what's going on. Well, I guess I see what you're saying on that. But mm-hmm. I, I, I remember feeling a sense of almost fear for the criminals, though, oh. which I never had felt for Batman before. Right. I had never f- that kind of like the panic those guys have is, mm-hmm. the, is they're, they're like looking around like, what the fuck is that? And then the guy just kind of does appears right that, that felt so real to me as far as like i mean great i know what you mean by like the the, the cutting, cutting of it, right. the editing of it yeah yeah i mean i feel that bale looks like a monster in the suit and that stuff works all of the stuff the not fighting because you just can't for me i just can't see it so it's not intimidating at all the fighting technique but yeah th- there are scenes in it that are very uh <laughs> intimidating with him in that suit the way he looks and right. growls his lines and stuff where are you here <laughs> Right, but th- th- there's that one moment, though, where he pulls the guy up, mm. and uh, the guy says, like, I swear to God, and he yeah. goes, to me! <laughs> yeah, but he says it in this intense way that where oh, it's like, that's it, it's, it's a little jarring and oh, frightening. Yeah. If you were that guy... <laughs> I would have you know, the... totally pissed pants myself. Right. <laughs> I never went to the drop-off point. It was in the Narrows. Cops only go there when they're in force. Do I look like a cop? <laughs> Right, and that scene's great. That, all of that's great. I'm just talking mainly about the mm-hmm. fighting scenes and how they're just very disoriented. And uh, the technique of fight that mm-hmm. he uses, the people who trained him were saying, uh, we had great technique in it. I just wish I could see it. There's no geography of the land to let me know this is how he yeah. fights. This is how good he is. Right. Well, and like you said, that was pretty much, you know, like with Born Identity and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. That was kind of the style at the time with right. the shaky hand cam. And, and yeah, yep. and it's, it's picked on now as like... A terrible way to do action because mm-hmm. you can't because you can't figure out what's going on right particularly in addressing batman you've got to have some threat you've got to have some consequence to the violence and so we wanted to make it more brutal more scrappy really throw the audience into it and disorient them a bit more but getting into the performances in the film real quick uh, you have michael kane coming in to play uh, alfred absolutely loving mm-hmm. he's so warm and kind and sly and and cheeky aren't you Good thing I left everything to you then. Quite so, sir. And you can borrow the rolls if you like. Just bring it back with a full tank. But also Alfred in this film is also a necessary character. He helps with the plot. He's not just set dressing, basically. Mm. And I love that uh, Michael Caine has something to do. We ordered a main part of this cow from Singapore. Via Dummy Corporation. Indeed. And then quite separately, we place an order to a Chinese company. But these put it together ourselves precisely morgan freeman coming in and playing lucius fox i love morgan freeman so to see him play this character from the comic book again Mm. and it's so well done i love that he stands up to bruce even though bruce is like the owner of the company Mm. and basically tells him look you don't want to tell me exactly what you're doing when i'm asked i don't have to lie 
but don't think of me as an idiot. What Q was for James Bond, Lucius Fox is for uh, Batman. Mm-hmm. And I love that they did that. That's a brilliant way to not have to wonder, how did he get all of these toys? Well, here's how. Right, yeah, right. Look, I'd rather Mr. Earl didn't know about me borrowing. Mr. Wayne, way I see it, all this stuff is yours anyway. And Liam Neeson is superb in this film. You got to remember, this is before you know he hit it big in '08, I think, with Taken. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't the action guy here, and he's that mentor guy that like he was in Star Wars. Yeah. And but he's so great the way he delivers lines, his meaning behind it, right. And the, his uh, dedication to his vision in the film, in character, I mean, it's so brilliant. I love him in this film. Right. Surely a man who spends his nights scrambling over the rooftops of Gotham wouldn't begrudge me dual identities. Going back to Christian Bale real quick and what he's able to bring to the character of Bruce Wayne in this film, being that Bruce Wayne is like our main character of this movie. Right. So uh, we're able to invest a little more time because Batman's not coming into this film until about like 40, 50 minutes in. So we have to really invest in this character of Bruce Wayne and and getting someone like Christian Bale to come in and play that. I mean, he's such a magnificent actor already. So he's able to bring so many different facets to Bruce Wayne's character. So, you know, he is a dark and tortured soul, but he's also a dedicated soul mm-hmm. and he, when he has his eye on the ball nothing's going to detour him yeah. so his early scenes with Alfred really speak to me just because you can see the evolution of the relationship between those two like when he first comes back from college and then right. as the story progresses you can see how close they are and how genuine the relationship is between Alfred and Bruce right right when you told me your grand plan for saving Gotham the only thing that stopped me from calling the men in white coats was when you said that it wasn't about thrill-seeking. It's not. You're getting lost inside this monster of yours. I'm using this monster to help other people just like my father did. And aside from the uh, concentration and dedication that Bale's able to bring to the character of Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. I love even the playfulness that he's he's able to show when he's uh, gi- given the tour by uh, Morgan Freeman's character of Lucius Fox of the uh, Applied Sciences Division. And he sees the tumbler mm-hmm. when he's driving it around and everything, that boyish glee that he has on his face. Right, it's right. so spot on and perfect because you really are seeing... Bruce having fun Mm -hmm. and uh, also at the same time his dedication of his vision of knowing what he wants to apply this to I just love all of that it's so beautiful (laughs) yeah one of the things I wanted to say though real quick about Christian Bale was Mm -hmm. you know I think Chris Nolan is you know Christian Bale's gonna read for the part kind of thing or whatever and he's thinking American Psycho he's thinking Equilibrium which is a terrible movie or whatever it is and uh, (laughs) not realizing he's coming off of the set of The Machinist. Yeah. And I, if anybody has ever seen pictures, if not, if they've never seen The Machinist, they've seen right. pictures of Ooh, Christian Bale from The Machinist. He is like, it looks like a Holocaust survivor yes. in that thing. And and uh, he gets down to like this ungodly. Yeah. F- like, he looks like he's like 100 pounds and he's not yeah. built if to that. anything less than 160. Right, exactly. Like, even when he plays uh, Ken Miles, he looks kind of sickly mm-hmm. in, in Ford versus Ferrari, you know, but he, he gets down to Ken Miles' shape, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. Yeah, I think he came in and, and, and wasn't the story goes like, how am I going to seriously be able to suggest to Warner Brothers that you could play Batman ever if, uh, you know, you're that skinny? He then proceeded to put on a lot of weight uh, in muscle terms and really try and bulk up because I had impressed upon him the uh, 
the idea that for, for Bruce Wayne to really fill that suit, he was going to have to be very, very large. And apparently he got too big. I was just stuffing my face all day long and lifting heavy weights and eating more and uh, and eventually went went uh, up to like 220 pounds. When right. he, yeah, he shows up to start pre-production, I guess. And mm -hmm. Right. Chris Nolan is like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> <laughs> You're too big. Wait you got to go lose some weight, lose some weight, lose some weight. I just listened to what he said about get as big as you possibly can. So that's what I did, you know? But I was kind of like a bear. I wasn't really like a martial arts, you know, guy all lean and ripped and everything like that. The guy's a freaking yo-yo. Yeah, exactly. Of course, you know, he ends up hurting himself on... Uh, Vice. Vice, yeah, when he's gaining weight to Cheney. Cheney. Right. Dick Cheney. I mean, right. yeah, he does it for every film, it seems like. Right. So. Yeah, and he's, you know, that you, you, you reach a certain age. Yeah, and you then, can't do that to your body. But then again, like I said, he loses the weight again for Ford versus Ferrari. Right, yeah, that's true. And a number of the crew I'd worked with on previous movies, they looked at me and they were like, uh, bloody hell, Chris, what are we doing here, fat man or bat fan? And then uh, sticking on Bale real quick, I just wanted to talk about, so he's given on Batman Begins the carte blanche to do what he wants with the voice of Batman. Right. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. And he doesn't say a whole lot as Batman in Batman Begins, so, uh, I mean, it's kept to in a reasonable amount, I think, of intimidation and growl. Yeah, like a deep grumbling. Right, like a, like a beast or something. Enough so that you're not going to hear Bruce Wayne. Exactly, talk. which right. I, I get and I like, and I, it doesn't bother me or take me out of the moment at all in uh, Batman Begins. Mm -hmm. So, uh, basically, the less is more with his voice, I guess, is what I'm saying. Because right. the longer it goes on, it, you can just, it gets... Uh, Gravelly. You know, yeah. this kind of, you know. Right, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in this movie, I think it's fine. Yeah. Well, well, you took my advice about theatricality a bit, literally. It ends here. So, so Batman Begins comes out on June 15th of 2005 yeah. and does like $373 million worldwide. Right. So, it's not a huge hit, especially on a $150 million budget. Right. It did okay but I think it got great reviews and then once it hit video people were willing to give it a chance because it did it had to overcome all of that negativity from the the other films right and so it built in its audience right there on home video and I think built up like people looked at it and said oh wow this is actually really cool and great performances and all of that stuff right. you know what I, I think it's a challenge um, that I'm prepared to take I'm, I'm not gonna not take this role because of the fact that people may forever look at me as Batman I will continue to make very diverse movies. I'm not going to stick to just making big uh, uh, movies. Um, I come more from an independent world of filmmaking. I'm going to continue doing that. That's what I really love. You know, I just have to trust in my own uh, uh, abilities, and if I don't have them, then, uh, you know, so be it. I'll be Batman forever, and that'll be it, and you can just stick a fork in my ass. So I think it was more on the good reviews and the reception to the movie after it left theaters that is what granted it a sequel, because it had a longer life afterward. It had longevity. Mm -hmm. And from what I've read, very smartly, Christopher Nolan chose to keep the budget the same as the first one and not go bigger as the sequels went on, which I... Right. That, that tends to squander. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, it just takes the idea and like forces you to amp everything up to where then you start losing that realism thing, mm -hmm. you know, right. that, that he worked so hard to create. No, exactly. Right. It's like the James Bond effect. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, the further those movies go on, the more they spend on them. Do they really get better? Right, so. right, right. So you live to die another day. 
So in 2007, production begins on Christopher Nolan's second film in his trilogy of Batman films, The Dark Knight. Yes. When I went to make the first film, it was very important to me that we never even talk or think about doing another film. It's like, okay, we put everything we've got into Batman Begins. We make the best film we've right. had to make. Then when people responded to it, when, when the audience has kind of told me what the film is, then you, you react to that and you say, okay, you know what? I want to see who that Joker's going to be. The okay. Joker card flipped over at the end of Batman Begins. I want to know who that's going to be. Uh, and so then you find yourself drawn into continuing the story. Now, just like Christopher Nolan did on Batman Begins, where he took everyone and showed them a film that he thought represented the vision of the film they were about to make, mm -hmm. he did the same thing for The Dark Knight. He took all the cast and crew to the screening room and showed them Heat by Michael Mann mm -hmm. and said, this is how we're going to do The Dark Knight. That's cool. And uh, you can totally see that influence on the film. Yeah, you can tell. Right, right. Don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around a corner. And then, of course, who's going to be the Joker? How can anybody be the Joker after <laughs> Jack Nicholson? And right, and we hear about it a lot now. I mean, it was just letters back when Keaton did it, but now right. the big bad internet... Now exists. Right, and so it was relatively quiet while they were, there was rumors about who was going to be cast, like Robin Williams or Johnny Depp, but the minute they announced who was going to be the Joker, the internet blew up. Heath Ledger gets cast, and uh, it's pretty... Uproarious <laughs> anger. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's coming from both sides of the fence, the non-comic book fans and also the comic book fans, because Heath is like this, he's thought of anyway as this teen heartthrob, and it definitely does not match what, what people's... Uh, uh, already expect. expect from Jack Nicholson mm -hmm. or right. Cesar Romero. Right. And then yeah. I, I never got why people wanted an imitation of what you've already seen before. Right. And uh, so I was really thrilled by the choice of uh, Heath Ledger, because I thought, what a unique choice. He's mm -hmm. not like what everyone expects. So he's probably going to bring something pretty unique to it. Right. You know, I, the, I, I really love Batman Begins. And um, the Joker, the character of the Joker was just uh, too good to turn down. I, you, know, you know, if Tim Burton was doing The Dark Knight and asked me to play the Joker, I wouldn't have taken it because uh, to, to, to try and even... Uh, touch what Jack Nicholson did in Tim Burton's world would be a crime and so when Chris came to me and I, and I knew how Chris was you know he'd already set up the world for me I'd seen how what world it was that I would be playing in so I knew it was open for a fresh interpretation and I I also instantly kind of had something up my sleeve which happened to be exactly what Chris was kind of looking for. We sat down and kind of uh, shared ideas, and, and, and they were the same. And so we, uh, we just went with it. So quite honestly, my only real worry when I started hearing things about the film was that they were going to put Two-Face in it as well. And I was like, right. uh-oh, here we go. Yeah. They're putting way too many too characters many. in, and there's not going to be enough screen time. So yeah. that was my worry when I first heard about the film. We decided in this film that it was going to be necessary to show more of the way in which Batman fights. The Casey system that we applied to his, his method of fighting in the first film was somewhat obscured by the way in which we chose to present the character, which was from the criminal's point of view. So in the first film, you're always catching glimpses of Batman. And so 
whilst the fights were arranged according to the KC method, it's really not until this film where you really get to see the way he moves and so forth that that starts to, to pay off as a very unique fighting style and one that's based on improvisation and an awareness of his surroundings and using one opponent against another. And then, of course, going back to what I was talking about in Batman Begins where the action scenes, I wish they would have been shot a little better. Uh-huh. Nolan learned his lesson, obviously, because in this one you can see everything. The action's shot really well. I know where everything is. Yeah. Everything's oriented, and I get to see the technique. So it's light years better in this film as far as action scenes go. Mm-hmm. So no complaint here. This city just showed you that it's full of people ready to believe in good. But since he fixed the action scene, Mm -hmm. I do wish he would have fixed something that carries over from the first one that gets a little out of hand, and for me anyway, and that's the Batman voice. Right. I I just wish Chris Nolan would have stepped in and been like, "Eh, let's bring that down a bit, okay? Right. It's a little too... It's still got that growl and gruffness that it had in the first one. Because you were the best of us. He wanted to prove that even someone as good as you could fall. But, I mean, giving him big swaths of dialogue, yeah, right. it starts to get a little... Uh, it just sounds a little goofy. Yeah, right. right. Scooping all the guts out of your pumpkin. It's Blumpkin. It's not Blumpkin. What has your mother been teaching you? And, of course, it got aped by everybody, and that guy, mm-hmm. that YouTube guy, becomes famous doing Bat Dad oh, and right. all that stuff, you know, because it becomes kind of the joke of the movie. Oh, totally, yeah. So much so that by the time he gets to the third movie, he's stuck with it, yeah. Right, exactly. Really, with Batman, it was all about the darkness visually, the ears, the cape. And it sounds obvious in retrospect, but what you learn very rapidly is without that cape, he isn't Batman. He's some kind of futuristic SWAT-type guy. You know, without the ears and the cape, no matter how much else you retain, it's not Batman without those those elements. And I guess since we haven't talked about it yet, uh, the bat suits and the uh, Nolan trilogy is are, are really great redesigns of it because in Batman Begins, it kind of follows the same look mm-hmm. as far as bulkiness of the uh, previous Batman suits, but uh, uh, in this one, it evolves. You, yeah. know, you actually in the movie see that Bruce Wayne takes this to to Lucius Fox and says, "Hey, can we redesign this? I want to be able to turn my head." Mm-hmm. Right. And that's right, the right. first time we've ever seen that in a Batman film so far. It's, uh, Batman's able to turn his head. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love how they make it sleeker looking, and he gets to turn his head, but th- that works its way into the script. It's part of the story. story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the scope gets grander because mm-hmm. they're having to go to China, and, you know, it right. becomes a, like a global story. Right. And, well, like in the first one, when you leave Gotham for a while, yeah. and you get out in the world, it's nice. Right. Batman has no jurisdiction. He'll find him and make him squeal. So when the Dark Knight's getting ready to come out, that's uh, I, uh, my wife and I had just moved to Colorado, so you and I weren't going to be able to see it together. But then you came out to visit, right, Colorado, and we all went and saw it uh, at a big old IMAX theater downtown Denver. Love it. Yeah, and it was mind blowing. And I remember, you know, because, especially in that, that's one of those like three story screens, right. I remember getting freaked out by the uh, darkness of the whole plight of the Joker in that movie. I don't know if you remember afterwards just talking about how I was like... Man, that one kind of had me going for a little bit there. <laughs> right, like I yeah. like I was a little like his whole concept of the um, how you know balancing on a tightrope society is it, it for some reason really hit a home with me i guess seeing it so big and so clear in front of my face right 
that it I kind of felt a little unnerved by the movie almost to the point where I was on the verge of being unenjoyable at a <laughs> certain point, you know? Right. <laughs> that was kind of how I... Because Heath Ledger was so fucking good. Right. You yeah. know, and uh, we all came into it with, a, I think, a little bit of reservation, not knowing what he was going to do with it, right. you know? And, and just kind of having a hard time detaching ourselves from uh, Jack Nicholson, but, you know... right. Trusting Chris Nolan, of course, because Batman right. Begins was so good, and um, yeah, he it worked, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well played, sir. <laughs> right. <laughs> One thing Heath wanted to do was to apply the makeup himself, as an actor, saying, "Okay, this character would put his own makeup on, you know, in in real life." And so, what would that look like if he just got the the makeup? During the hair and makeup test, we let him perform. We let him talk, we let him walk around, we didn't record any sound, but we let him inhabit the character and use it as a bit of a test bed to just sort of do it in front of a few people and start to feel what that would be and move around. And We had some props there, we had different knives and things for him to pick up and start moving with and seeing how that would work. Uh, and it was a really, uh, it was a really amazing experience to, to be a part of, to see him developing something in that way. I mean, since we went back to talking about Heath Ledger real quick, uh, his performance in this is so powerfully good. And the fact that he unfortunately passed away before the film came out, I think added a mystique to this film yeah. that took it from one level to the next. Yeah, but, and well, and, and his performance is, oh, yeah, ama yeah. is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. No, no, t taking nothing away from this phenomenal performance that he does as the Joker. I'm just saying that because he passed away before he was able to do interviews about it, it added a, a layer of mystery to an already exceedingly mysterious character as of the Joker. So, it, it, you know, people wondered, I wonder what he would have said if he would have been in interviews and what he, how he would have talked about prepping for the part and all that stuff. Because you hear things, but it's different to hear it from the person who did it. And so I just, I, 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 in my opinion, I think that it probably easily added another two or three views of people who might have just went and saw it once and then waited for a DVD. But people went back to kind of analyze that performance because yeah, it's such a right. great performance. Yeah, I mean, it was a big deal. His passing? Oh, yeah, it was everywhere. Well, and uh, because of the success of the movie and the success of his portrayal of mm -hmm. this character he has that rise from the phoenix kind of situation mm -hmm. from all of the shit just the same way michael keaton did right exactly uh you know was catching a ton of shit before they saw it. everybody's you know jumping on the bandwagon <laughs> yeah right yeah he didn't grow because and he wins a an uh, uh, an academy award after death you know what i mean right and the oscar goes to heath ledger in the dark <laughs> And so Nolan, I think, is kind of, with this film, The Dark Knight, introducing something that will bleed on into the next film, which is like a Bond opening, if you will, for the villains. Uh -huh. A big stunt piece that introduces you to the villains and really sets them up and what they're all about. Yeah. And this one has a great one with the bank heist. and I mean, it gets a little gimmicky, I guess, with the uh, the buses at the end of the whole heist, how they it pulls out and it's in perfect line with all the other ones. Mm -hmm. That's a little gimmicky. but uh, Because I think you have to add, uh, like, 
like a air of uh, whimsy because mm-hmm. it's a clown. Right. A you know what I mean? A, yeah. A jester. I, I'm, not, I'm not in any way saying that I have an issue with it. I'm just saying that it, it is extremely gimmicky, and I think you have to do that to introduce the character yeah. and how well-planned the character is because as the movie goes on and everything has to fall perfectly into line with the plan, you realize that the Joker is not, even though he says... I'm not a planner. Yeah. He's obviously the ultimate planner. And that beginning sets you up into that uh, world, if you will. Right. I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. So if Batman Begins gave us the Tumblr, which, I mean, in its own way is kind of toyetic, I guess. Right. Uh, then the Dark Knight is able to, out of the Tumblr, birth the bat pot. Right. Goodbye. And I remember really digging the bat pot and how it, it comes out of the tumbler and everything. Right, the wheel starts spinning individually. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And and mm-hmm. again, it was an operating cycle. Right. Granted, it wasn't easy to ride. It wasn't very mm-hmm. practical, I think, as, right. a, as a cycle. It was something that somebody could get on and ride around. The only the little giveaway on it was like the guns, the guns would jiggle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guns jiggle while he's driving around. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the bat pot is probably the one thing in the film that uses the most CGI, but mm-hmm. it does it in such a freaking cool way, the way it like ducks down real low and then also turns the corners. And yeah, the, that whole the, thing where the, yeah. where the wheels roll over as it goes sideways. Yeah, yeah and cool. the, the noise it makes, I love that yeah. noise. <laughs> yeah, and that weird noise, yeah. You know, I remember there being criticisms of the film uh, when it came out. Uh, one of them being on uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal taking over the role of Rachel from uh, Katie Holmes. Mm-hmm. And I never had an issue with it. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is a, a terrific actress. Right, right. And right. Uh, I think she did great with, with what she had to do in the, the movie. That's the thing is that I think in this film and in Batman Begins, Nolan and the writers are smart. They give every character in this movie something to do other than just be there. And every character has something to move the plot along a little bit so right. I mean if you can do that in a story which I'm sure is super hard to do right it's really a great thing and entertaining to watch and great to watch in retrospect when you're watching the movie later on saying man this thing is really well put together yeah uh, I've been fortunate to work with some fine actors in the past and what they all share is an ability to project a couple of levels at the same time just through their eyes through their movements the way they're speaking you're watching Bruce Wayne as a sort of playboy brat, but at the same time, you're always kind of aware of the fact that he's thinking other things behind it. And I also remember there being a, a lot of criticism and concern over uh, Harvey Dent, Two-Face's role in the film and mm-hmm. how he wasn't in it enough or people wanted Two-Face to have his own movie where he could be the main villain or something like that. But mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant what they did with Harvey Dent in this film because he's the heart of the film. The whole movie hinges on him. Yeah. And I don't know how else you can make Harvey Dent the centerpiece of a Batman movie the way that they did than in this film, the way they did it in this film. Yeah. I mean, everyone has a, a problem with how fast he turns evil and all of that stuff, but I never had an issue with it at all. Right. And I think Aaron Eckhart, he does a fantastic job in the role. You really like him right. at the same time, and then when he turns, you're like, whoa, he's freaking flipped his lid, man. Well, yeah. And then when we decided to make a second film, we did the same thing. And if we knew we were doing a third film, there might have been an argument for spreading Two-Face's story over another film. 
And that's the kind of trap you fall into when you're looking too far ahead because we wouldn't have made The Dark Knight the way we made it. And it was made, in my opinion, the right way for the story we wanted to tell. We didn't hold anything back for a third film. We didn't keep Two-Face alive for any reason. And the design, I mean, that, I'm sure that's where a lot of the CG went to on the design of Two-Face. It's very disturbing when you, when I remember seeing yeah, it and like, whoa. I remember it, it hit me pretty hard. We, oh, yeah. And that that speaks to Nolan's realism. You know what I mean? The, right, yeah, exactly. And it works so well. And coming yeah. from a comic book guy, surprisingly well. The Joker won. Harvey's prosecution, everything you fought for, I'm done. Whatever chance you gave us of fixing our city dies with Harvey's reputation. We bet it all on him. The Joker took the best of us and tore him down. People will lose hope. They won't. They must never know what he did. And, uh, well, I mean, since we're already there, let's talk about it. The end of the film, the way Batman and James Gordon build this lie off of Harvey Dent's death to benefit their cause. Right is something that I remember when I was watching the movie in the theater I was like man this is ending I mean this is not a happy ending like Batman lost mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're lying to make it seem like good came out of this horrible thing and uh, to, to seeing them in the film like that and thinking man the possibilities of where this can go because mm -hmm. you know Gordon has that speech which I'm sure a lot of people probably could point at as a really cheesy moment again mm -hmm. I was all fanboy geekiness over it. I love that speech, no matter how dramatic it is. Mm -hmm. I love it. Right, right. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. Because he's not a hero. He's a silent guardian. A watchful protector. Well, if you ask me, he, they're taking the original Star Wars trilogy model. Like, mm. uh, episode four is laying the groundwork and giving us all the characters, the origins of everybody. And right. then episode five, uh, Empire Strikes Back, you're getting into the nitty gritty of all the shit and it's darker and it's... Right. And, and it doesn't have a happy ending and right. it kind of leads you into the you know and then the third one you know has the resolutions and mm -hmm. you know they never quite add up to what you want them to be but <laughs> right yeah and and so when you see the movie you see what every character does to move the plot forward you're like oh, okay thank god it's the it's the, the way they do it right it's the way that mm -hmm. they do it and bring this movie to fruition that that really i think made it pay off and uh, in a big way yeah. This is a watershed moment in cinematic history. The Dark Knight hosted the biggest opening weekend of all time. It's the, the cinematic equivalent of the 100-year flood. So, yeah, I mean, I can totally imagine that, that, like, going to see this film, this being your first big-screen Batman film. Right. I can only imagine this thing, like, forever being in your mind and you holding this thing up on the pedestal as the best Batman film ever. I can only imagine it because that's how I was with the Keaton film, for sure. And everything has to measure up against that in, in certain ways, in certain weird ways and stuff. Right, so, right. Coming out of the gate with this one, uh, I mean, this is not my favorite Batman film. I still favor out of this trilogy. I still favor Batman Begins. Batman Begins is my favorite live-action Batman film ever. Mm. Um, but this is a phenomenal film, no, absolutely no doubt. Uh, I right. just think that in going into this film, Chris Nolan was at a crossroads. He could go one way or the other, uh -huh. and he could be like, I can still use CGI to make Gotham 
look different from any city that you've ever seen before like he did in Batman Begins and even making uh, that CGI island the Narrows in Batman Begins I love that because it looks menacing and you're not quite sure you don't know what's in there you've never seen it before on film or anything like that yeah. so it, it's transportive to me into the Batman universe and in this film he just chose to go the other way which I understand he's making his Batman with uh, as a foot as firmly planted in reality as you possibly can and so why not just use the skyline for Chicago or whatever city you're going to shoot in mm-hmm. and I get that and I love all the locations he chose to shoot in Chicago and they, they add great atmosphere to the film and I even visited them when I went to Chicago last time so right. yeah. uh, I love that I just I think over the years I start to long a little bit more for the, uh, the slight bit of fantastical that he did add in Batman Begins that started to to fade away with this movie right yeah totally flip-flops it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and i mean it's you know especially coming off of those schumacher movies mm-hmm. where you're writing down to five-year-olds right yeah this movie is like not afraid to take what everybody considers a child's property mm-hmm. and add some intelligence to it well, and, well yeah. i mean yeah stemming directly from the schumacher films yeah i completely agree with right you. right dominoes Here's your Gotham City pizza. And uh, could you tell the Joker he owes me a car? Yeah, I mean, that movie comes out on July 18th of 2008, does over a billion dollars in business, and breaks tons of records, and yeah. is one of the highest-grossing comic book films of all time until right. the MCU comes along. <laughs> yeah. Truth is, I am Iron Man. In November of 2008, that same year we got The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. this to show how flexible the character is as far as interpretation, Batman gets another cartoon show called Batman the Brave and the Bold. You and I team against our common foe. Only a twisted, diseased mind like yours could think of such a plan. I'll deal with Owl Man myself. This cartoon show takes Batman back to the uh, campier roots Mm -hmm. and also brings along the DC Universe to have a little fun with everyone in that world. And it was a pretty fun little show. Now, Batman has been a part of the video game industry over the years that we have already been talking about him, but Mm -hmm. in 2009, it hits another level with Arkham Asylum. Right, right. These games were pretty huge in the gaming industry. I am not a gamer myself, but I have seen the gameplay. I had a few friends that had the game, and then I also have watched game footage of it, Mm -hmm. and it's really cool. The thing that, of course, I dig about it is that they bring uh, some of the creators from the Batman animated TV series over to help with the design of the game mm-hmm. and then they also bring the two biggies the voice of batman from the animated series kevin conroy he surrendered almost without a fight i don't like it and mark hamill as the joker i set a trap and you sprang it gloriously but yeah that uh, arkham asylum game comes out in 2009 it's apparently a huge phenomenon so then it goes on to have a continuation a sequel if you will right and arkham city in 2011 and then that gets another sequel batman arkham origin in 2013 and then apparently in 2015 the last chapter to this batman game saga was batman arkham knights but yeah it was pretty cool to see uh, kevin conroy and mark hamill be able to play those characters in a different setting that's a lot darker and they could get the cuss and stuff like that right. it was pretty awesome here we go we're gonna have some fun now 
kitties. Now, years before this, DC started an animated universe for direct DVD and Blu-ray and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the features they released were very Batman-centric and Superman-centric, and then started to become Justice League-centric. And yeah. but Batman got a few really cool, interesting ones. But in 2011, what's notable is is that uh, Batman Year One, based off the graphic novel, is made into an animated movie, and it's really good. Uh, they bring in Brian Cranston, who voices James Gordon. As for me, well, there's a real panic on. Somebody's threatened to poison the Gotham Reservoir. Calls himself the Joker. And he's great in it. Really stellar voice as uh, Commissioner Gordon. And I really liked it. I thought it was a really faithful adaptation. They add a few things here and there and take away a few things. But nothing that it made me upset about. But uh, it was really cool. I liked it a lot. And I think it's really well done. Okay. You know, you can't just bring in Harvey and be done with it. It's bigger than that now. You've already ruffled the mutants. They're next on my list, but first things first. Then in 2012, the DC Animated Universe, since they'd already done uh, Frank Miller's Batman Year One, they move on to his opus, which is The Dark Knight Returns, and Mm -hmm. they do an animated version of this. And when they announced the voice casting for this, I was kind of excited because they said that Peter Weller was going to do the voice of Batman, which I was like, RoboCop's going to do the voice of Batman? That's going to be pretty cool. Right. Uh, Once you see it, uh, for me anyway, it doesn't really work out all that well. Well, as far as he, he just he has the same voice whether as Bruce or as Batman, mm-hmm. and so I don't know. I was just hoping for something maybe a little bit more gravelly and deeper, like a Clint Eastwood type of voice, not uh-huh. Clint Eastwood, but Clint Eastwood type of voice, or even bringing in Kevin Conroy and doing his uh, kind of deep gravelly voice that he did as an elder Bruce Wayne in Batman Beyond. But okay, I mean, as for the movie and everything, I really like the movie and I love the animation and everything looks very well quasi uh, Frank Millerish in it. So it, it was a, a faithful adaptation, I believe. Uh-huh. But uh, there are some nitpicks and the voice. Voice is definitely one of them, but I mean, it was really cool to see such a uh, dark animated uh, Batman hit that kind of movie verse. That's when DC started to embrace, like, you know what, we can do dark and we can do R rated. Fuck it, why not? Right, yeah, yeah. So, here's the gist you want to talk to us, you want comments, you want reviews, all this horse shit. How could they not, really? Instagram and Facebook, we are mm. at TFTFP Podcast. If you want to tweet us or twit us or whatever it is out there, yeah, you just have to go podcast TFTFP. Yeah, because the other one was taken. Yeah. And <laughs> send us a gosh darn glorious little email. No dick pics, please. Uh, Uh, Don't uh, don't tell him what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Care of Derek. No, the email email address is uh, tftfppodcast at gmail.com. Glorious. Like, subscribe, (laughs) and review us. And make it positive. Right. I mean, you can be negative about other things. Just don't mention us with the negativity. We're, We're delicate over here. I got a thin skin. I always thought it was a really good idea what Nolan chose to do with his Batman trilogy, which was he did Batman Begins, and then he did The Prestige and got something new in his system. Came uh-huh. back, did The Dark Knight, then went and did a long gestating story he wanted to do, Inception. Uh, yeah. And I always thought that was a great thing just because it cleans his palate, if you will, of uh, the Batman thing and moves him into some new territory that's uh, artistic that he can do different things with and it's not the same material. Mm-hmm. And then comes back 
back to Batman fresh and ready to go. For me, it was figuring out the ending and, and figuring out that we had a, a reason to come back and a reason to invite people back to, to Gotham to, <laughs> to see the conclusion of Bruce Wayne's story. Until myself and my co-writer, David Goyer, until we had that sense of what the conclusion would be, uh, you know, we didn't want to commit to it. It was only once we knew there was a, a good story to tell there that we, that we wanted to sort of set the train in motion. So when we finally get to 2012 and, and we get another Nolan Batman film, something that is apparently going to wrap up the trilogy mm-hmm. with how big, how monumental the Dark Knight was not just in profits, but people's expectations of how great that film was and all of that stuff, right, and with right. a wonderful performance like Heath Ledger's as one of the big villains. It was kind of hard not to be a little bit concerned about how are they going to top that? Yeah. We spent nine years making the films, and so we were able to develop each act of the, the three-act story over a long period of time and, and really change our vision for it and let it develop with us over that period of time. For me, that made the films richer than they would have been if we'd come up with a plan for three movies right at the beginning and stuck to that. So when it was finally announced that uh, the movie was going to come out and the villains were going to be Bane and Catwoman, Uh I didn't have as uh, a knee-jerk reaction as, oh no, they're putting in two villains again. Just because of how well he incorporated the two villains in Batman Begins and the Dark Knight and how they fit the story and moved the story and everyone was kind of cohesive as far as moving the plot forward. Right. And uh, once the movie came out, the trailers and stuff like that, I really liked the look. I love Tom Hardy already. So seeing him as Bane and what they were doing with it, I'm like, wow, this is really unique and really love what I'm seeing here. Uh, Anne Hathaway cast as Catwoman. Uh-huh. I, I wasn't, I didn't hate that pick i was i'm not a huge fan of hers though but i think she was a good actress and so i thought well you know we'll see what she brings but Mm -hmm. i that was one i will admit that i was kind of like hey well well, let's see it can't be any worse than the halle berry movie so right (laughs) i mean i'd be lying if i said i wasn't aware of the history and and you know kind of the level of fan expectations surrounding all of the all aspects of this franchise but I just trusted Chris, and I knew he wasn't gonna let me go out there and get egg on my face. And his vision, and his and, and Jonah Nolan, his brother's vision, was so clear on the page that I felt really protected by by the script. So, getting to July twentieth of two thousand twelve, we had four years pass between the Dark Knight and now the Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises. In theaters and IMAX Friday, rated PG-13. So this one we didn't see together. Right, yeah. Dark Knight Rises and going in, uh, I don't remember how much of a fan you were of any of the picks for the villains in this. Were you going in trepidatious? I think I was definitely skeptical on Anne Hathaway, for sure. Right. Because I was, you know, she was still trying to break that, whatever, that princess thing. What was that thing? Right, she, right. The Prince's Diary thing. Princess Diaries. Yeah, she was still trying to break from that mold. Right. So I was kind of hesitant and skeptical. And, uh, you know, can she be sultry and sexy? Turns out, yes, she can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she was sure. pretty fucking hot in that movie. Yep. And uh, the way Chris Nolan curated that character he tread so lightly on mm-hmm. not not being in your face right. she, she's never called the Catwoman. right she's never wearing a Catwoman suit you know right. so it's not 
costumey and the way that Batman is. Because then it's once you start adding too many peoples and costumes, then you all say, why are all these people wearing costumes? Right. Just like the clever thing with her, the way her goggles are, you know, fold up and they look like the cat ears, like almost inconsequentially, you know, that's fucking right. genius. It was yeah. really well thought out and, and well played. And can we get some girls in here? Be careful what you wish for. Nobody ever accused me of being dumb. Well, I went to see this opening night. I was super excited because, of course, I loved the first two films. And so going in and being excited to see it and loved how it was starting out. Uh uh, One of the things, a lot of the positives that I have for the film is that it's a full circle journey for Bruce Wayne, if you will. They give him three arcs. He becomes Batman. He is Batman in his prime. And then you see him later in life as Batman, not as sharp and skilled and everything. And then you give him a happy ending. I love mm-hmm. all of that stuff and how it's full circle all the way back and commenting on things from the previous two films. Yeah. Especially on Batman Begins because that's my favorite Batman film. So I loved all of that stuff. Right. What about when you come up against him? What then? I'll fight harder. I always have. Take a look. His speed. His ferocity. His training. I see the power of belief. I see the League of Shadows resurgent. He said he was excommunicated. As, as, as far as Tom Hardy goes. I'm, I'm. I think at this time, I'm very aware of Tom Hardy, right? And I'm already kind of building this kind of like uh, I don't. I don't know how to call it like a man crushy kind of thing. You know, the dude right. is in what I had seen because like I had I, I had seen Bronson I think at this point and right. I'm like this and dude Inception. is fucking Inception. Yeah, this dude is yeah. fucking dope. There's something about right. this guy. He has this thing about him that click so i i was very excited to see him as bane open book about it i really wanted to meet christian as well because he's he's exciting he was a massive draw to work with but when i saw him first time when i got to uh to la we're doing the screen test and was trying on the bane outfit and i'd put on some weight and i felt strong and and i've been training and uh and i got on the on the trailer and i saw christian sat there and he didn't have a t-shirt just a vest on and i saw his arms and i looked at him and i thought yeah Yeah, I'm going to walk this. How are you? Good. Lovely to meet you. So, Hello, Tom. How are you? And when I sat down, I got changed into my outfit. And then this, this huge looming figure turned up on set. You know what I mean? It was, it was about 10 foot tall and about 8 foot wide with huge pointy ears. And I, yeah, and I looked at him and he was looking at me like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> He's terrifying, Batman. And, and he looked me dead in the eye and I thought, I, I, I'm never going to be able to survive. The onslaught is Christian Bell or Batman, and actually, he, he's he's a really tough boy. I remember because I remember going to what movie did the it came out in front of something? The way that right. we went to see I Am Legend because I there am, was the first like ten minutes of the Dark Knight with that one. So when Dark Knight Rises came out, they did the same thing with another movie, but I can't remember what movie. Yeah, I can't either. But I did go. I I remember going to see it. I think. Okay. Yeah, they show the, it's the whole Bane thing, and uh, right. what was his name? Littlefinger from. Uh, <laughs> You're right. Yeah. For, uh, oh, uh, yeah, he's also from The Wire too. He was uh, the governor, uh, one of the <laughs> city councilmen in The Wire. But I love that actor. No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. If I pull that off, will you die? 
It would be extremely painful. You're a big guy. For you. The controversy was is uh, the way they did the voice in that little, when they released it in that section, was much more mechanical and almost like a uh, vocal decoder in a way. Where it, and it sounded really cool. It was a little hard to understand. Yeah. But it sounded really cool, in my opinion. Right. And uh, so then when the movie did came out, and they, Tom Hardy's recording of his voice as Bane was that much more theatrical. Of course. He's doing some kind of uh, boxer guy, some famous right. um, bare-knuckle boxer from Ireland, I believe. That was actually a really cool choice that Chris made, Chris Nolan. Bane, quintessentially, is a Latinx in many, in, of origin of a character, and I am not. So I looked at the, uh, the concept of, of Latin and found a character, a man called Bartley Gorman, who's a Roman gypsy, huh. uh, the king of the gypsies in inverted commas, and a bare-knuckle fighter huh. and a boxer. And uh, he said, well, I get into a ring with a man, and we want to wipe me off the face of the earth, and he wants to kill me. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then I, was like, I showed Chris, I said, Chris, we can either go down a sort of, sort of arch Darth Vader kind of route and, you know, straight, neutral-toned villain voice. Or we could try this, but we could get laughed out of the park with it. It might be something that we regret, but it's your choice, ultimately. And he goes, no, I think we'll go with it. And that was that. Well, we, we played with it and made it a bit more florid, and, uh, and now people laugh at it. <laughs> <laughs> it still has a bit of the same kind of distortion, r- reverberation in it. But it's more you can. It's a little more sing-songy vocally right. than than I kind of remember. Still, kind of preferring. I wish they would. I would have gotten a chance to hear it in that original voice. Right. And doesn't doesn't Nolan kind of refuse to admit that there ever was a different voice? Yeah, it's a weird thing. But there's even stuff online now. People sneaking their phones in and and filming some of it. And when you hear the dialogue recorded. It's different in that sneak. Yeah, compared to what kind came out, it's definitely cleaned up. Yeah, there's definitely changes made. Right. Who are you? It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. That's the. I mean, you know, that's the uh, ultimate problem these days with internet. Once you get so many backlash, people yeah. coming on the the studio says you got to fix this. Yeah. So the, the you know uh, Tom Hardy's five nine and uh, Christian Bale's six foot, and you right. know Christian Bale got huge for these Batman roles. He's pretty. I mean, I know he contained himself and had to cut himself back down. Right. But he's still a big dude. And um, Bane, you know, when especially when you think of that that idiotic one we were talking about from Batman and Robin. <laughs> right. I remember it being a gripe that Tom Hardy wasn't big enough to be Bane and what Bane is supposed to be from the comics and all that stuff. Right. I don't have any connection to that whole thing or to right. the, or to the uh, Batman and Robin uh, Jeep, Jeep, Swanson? Jeep Swanson guy who died <laughs> like a week later because he took so many steroids. <laughs> uh, so I was totally invested in Tom Hardy's presence, uh, right. the look with that kind of cut up... Um, aviator jacket he had and i oh, thought totally, it, uh, yeah, yeah I, and the and the design of his mask in a way right. and i thought it was dope as shit i i liked it i really liked it and and i think that one for a lot of people was a bit of a miss dark knight rises and i i i don't find it a miss i don't right i i enjoy it 
a lot. I mean, it's definitely, you're not going to match the Dark Knight as right. far as like, you know, that thing kind of. That's in its own stratosphere. Stars aligned for that movie. So, of course, it's never going to reach the same level. Nope. And it wasn't intended to. The whole the whole Bane insertion was like, oh, shit, we've lost Heath Ledger. Now what do we do kind of thing. Right. Well, that is one of the things that I absolutely love what Christopher Nolan did there with the Joker is that we're not going to recast the Joker because there are all those rumors about let's get Johnny Depp or someone to recast him so the Joker can be in it and get closure on that character. And I'm just so glad that Nolan decided, you know what, we're not even going to comment on it. We're just going to move on. And this is the villain of this film, and that's what it'll be. And, and But I still think... I think as far as that being the situation that came up during filming, I, I, I don't feel it's a miss at all. Right, right. I mean, I wish I shared that sentiment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, for this one, uh, does fall apart for me a, a bit, especially over the years. And then upon watching it for this episode, a lot of those issues really stood out to me uh, a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I don't hate this film at all. I think that there's a lot of positives that I've mentioned already uh, about the film that I, I love. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are serious issues uh, for me for this film. And to me, it's just because Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, for, for myself, in my opinion, it holds up to scrutiny, and, and people may point at plot holes in both of those films and stuff, right. but I think the strongest thing for me in the, both of those films is that you can look at every character in there, and the, for to me, uh, those characters, every character in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, they have something to move forward the plot and also have something to do aside from just being there mm -hmm. and this film to me doesn't feel that way this feels like nolan is passionate about some themes that he wants to go into this film right but then there's there's a lot of fat on the meat of this particular film that i just feel like he's like ah eh, you know what we have to do another one we have to wrap this trilogy up uh -huh. i like these things about these themes i want to do so let's just do it and uh, that's why The Dark Knight Rises feels uneven to me as a whole film. Hmm. At the end of The Dark Knight, we, we really left Batman in a very odd place. It was, it was a bit of a cliffhanger, really, in a sense, even though I felt like the conclusion of that story. Uh, and I found myself, and, and David Goyer, and my brother Jonah, my co-writers, we found ourselves just wanting to know what happened next, what, what, what happens to, to Bruce Wayne. We want to finish his story, and that's what we've, we've done. I have absolutely uh, zero issues with uh, Tom Hardy's Bane in this. I, I love the redesign of Bane and what they did with that character, how he's implemented in the film, making him a, uh, a crucial part of moving the plot forward in this film mm -hmm. and uh, attached to the uh, legacy of the League of Shadows and all of that. Love all of that stuff. Enriches it. And, and, and again, I love that stuff because it taps back into the Batman Begins, which I love that film. Right. And it's bringing a theme from that movie full circle into this one and wrapping it up in a way that I thought, wow, this is really well thought out and, and quite great. Right, right. Batman has to come back. What if he doesn't exist anymore? He must. Tom Hardy is an actor. I was already a really big fan of his going into this film, so I had no doubt that he was going to do something really cool and unique with the character, and he did. Mm -hmm. And uh, a big point of contention for a lot of people on why they criticize this film pretty heavily does lie on that voice that he chose to use as Bane. Right. I love it. I think it's great. It's very theatrical in his performance because he has to, I think, kind of overact because of that mask that he wears. But I think it's a beautiful performance of what he did and, and the way 
way that voice that he chooses to use as Bane really enhances the characteristics of the character and gives it this level of uh, theatricality, yeah. especially in certain areas, like the scene right before he blows up the stadium. Uh-huh. I love how when that kid's singing the national anthem, his the way he comments on it. That's a lovely, lovely voice. It's so great. And this the way he gives that impassioned speech out in front of the Blackgate prison. Gotham is yours. None shall interfere. Do as you please. I love all of that. The, yeah. the way he really has little nuances that he gives that character to, to watch and, and, and be entertained uh-huh. instead of just another villain in a film and it's kind of paint by numbers kind of thing. So he yeah. really gives it something special and I love, love his bane. You think I care what anyone in this room thinks of me? I doubt you care what anyone in any room thinks of you. Don't condescend, Mr. Wayne. You don't know a thing about me. Moving over to Anne Hathaway's Catwoman, uh, this is where some of the problems are going to start for me on this film, especially over time. Upon seeing it for the first time, as you mentioned, all those changes that they did to fit Selina Kyle, Catwoman's character, into this film, uh, Nolan's more realistic Batman universe, mm-hmm. and uh, not having to call her Catwoman and all of the things that uh, you said they did for her. Well, yeah. I dug all of that at, at first, but there was never something that was 100% for me. There was something off, I always felt a bit of with the character uh, and I didn't really put my finger on it totally until the last time I watched it with my wife for this episode and at one point my wife she said what exactly does Catwoman do in this film I mean what's her purpose I mean you know they give her the whole she's a master thief and yeah. they have that clean slip I like the way they did it on this well, yeah it, because they wasn't they never called her that she yeah. never called herself no. that she never even implied that she was just a burglar well, uh, but, but my point is her purpose in the story as far as like okay she's this master thief okay but that's not her plot point so what is her plot point her plot point is well she's going after this clean slate thing which goes nowhere really I mean Bruce ends up giving it to her but what is her plot point in the film what helps move the plot along for the film well she steals bruce's fingerprints right Uh gives it to the bad guys so that they can wipe his funds out completely so now he's broke and then she helps lead batman to bane to get his back broken i had to find a way to stop them trying to kill me you made a serious mistake and not as serious as yours i fear so when Batman recovers and comes back to the city, he goes to her for her help for some reason? Yeah. I need your help. And why would I help you? For this? Clean slate. You trust me with that? After what I did to you? I'll admit I was a little let down. And even then, she's, like, against wanting to help him. She just wants to get out of the city, so she does one thing so she can get out of the city. Mm -hmm. He sees something good in her. I see that. And she ends up coming around and saving him from Bane later on. Right. Her point in the film, if you look at all those things I just said, was basically to get Bruce in trouble and then get Batman out of trouble as far as saving his life. Those are tasks that could be given to any of the many characters in this film. Mm -hmm. But um, they just lay it on Catwoman. 
Catwoman, it seems to me, in my opinion anyway, to just have Catwoman in this film. Instead of giving her a more unique story, they just lay this in. And that's what feels lazy to me in this film. I wish that Catwoman had more to do, was more important to the plot, instead of just intrigue for Bruce, danger for Bruce, savior of Bruce, and then, hey, I'm going to live happily ever after with him or mm-hmm. whatever. All of that just seems contrived to me, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially... Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I just don't feel a lot of the chemistry is there between Anne Hathaway and Christian Bale. Mm. Uh, I think the chemistry is much stronger between uh, Marion Cultiard, I believe is her name, who mm. plays Italia, Raja Ghul's daughter. Mm. Uh, I think the, the chemistry between Marion and uh, Christian Bale are, are way stronger than uh, the Anne Hathaway thing. It's just not there for me, especially when they do that whole ballroom masquerade dance scene. Right. You think all this can last? There's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. You and your friends better batten down the hatches, because when it hits, you're all going to wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. That scene in particular, as I talked about earlier, it seems like a ripoff of that scene that I love so much from Batman uh, Returns. Right. Uh, and right. the chemistry between Keaton and Pfeiffer in that film is light years ahead of what Bale and Hathaway's is here, in my opinion, again. Uh-huh. And I just don't buy Bruce's interest in uh, Selena in this film. Uh-huh. I don't know. It just didn't work for me. So that whole thing really falls apart for me. And that's one of those big things in this film for me that just feels like very underdeveloped and like, eh, it's good enough. Okay. Whatever. You fight like a younger man. There's nothing held back. Admirable, but mistaken. And I mean, as I talked about with Christopher Nolan and how I thought his, as a director, his uh, technique of shooting the fight scenes from Batman Begins and The Dark Knight had much improved. With this film, I think that there is one really good Batman fight scene in it, and that's the first fight between Batman and Bane. I think that's exceptionally done. I am oriented on the space of where they are. Yeah. I think the fighting technique is good, and the way it's filmed is good. It's it's exciting. Right. It's very visceral, and I love all the dialogue that uh, Bane delivers there. Yeah, yeah. Theatricality and deception. Powerful agents to the uninitiated, but we are initiated, aren't we, Bruce? Members of the League of Shadows. Bane is very menacing in that scene. I totally believe that he could outdo Batman in that, and that's a really cool place to take the character of Batman. Yeah. Is to show him that he there's nothing he can do. He's gonna get his ass kicked, and you just have to sit back and take the ride. You know? Yeah. Right. But all the other fight scenes that include Batman and in the rest of the film are just very underwhelming to me and uh, aren't very exciting. Like the whole scene where Batman shows up and saves Catwoman from Bane's men on that rooftop, that whole fight scene there. Mm-hmm. A very underwhelming fight scene. I mean, it's I don't think it's particularly covered all that well as far as visually, and it's just not exciting. Mm. So any time you can put him up against a threat, I think it's so much more interesting if the threat is not just to the safety and prosperity of the people of Gotham, but also a threat to his own philosophy, his own way of life, something that gets under his skin and in some way represents a path he could have taken. As each of Nolan's films start to go forward, he starts to implement more realism into them, especially Batman Begins to The Dark Knight. Much more realism added to the film. Mm -hmm. So by the time we get to this one, for me anyway, it feels a little off-kilter because he's still playing in that world of realism, of course, but 
he also throws in some more far-fetched things that is just like wait what like at the beginning when we find out that bruce is getting back into the batman game mm-hmm. he goes to the doctor and we find out that his knees are pretty bad i have seen worse cartilage in knees it's good no that's because there is no cartilage in your knee and not much of any use in your elbows or your shoulders then bruce gets a hold of this high-tech knee brace that he puts on and all of a sudden his knee problems go away he's able to kick bricks out of the sides of walls <laughs> right. that's fine with me i don't have no problem with that and i know that that's actually based on some kind of real technology that's out there i've seen one that's like a glove that people can put on that don't have a lot of muscle tension in their hands and they can actually grab things once they use that glove so uh-huh. based on a real tech that's out there and i don't even need that because i don't mind some fantastical stuff in my batman films right why i'm saying that is is that when you implement a character like bane as your villain bane is known for something in the comics probably the only thing that bane is known for in the comics by a lot of people is that he breaks batman's back so you're gonna pick him you're gonna use that obviously it's a striking visual they use that in this film and after they break batman's back to not have him fix it by using some kind of ectoskeleton or a brace that can help him like it helped his knee or something that may be too fantastical for people out there to accept but i think it's just as unrealistic as having a guy pound a stone into the back of his <laughs> into <laughs> bruce wayne's back and saying okay you're good to go after you rest for a little bit that right. that is another one of those things in this film is like what oh, there's a vertebra oh. protruding from your oh. back it has to be put back. Well, and it, that's that story you were just talking about from that mm-hmm. they were that was it. Who was trying to use it? Tim no, Burton? no one was using it. It's just a comic book, The Nightfall. So they, Chris Nolan, ends up using it after all. Right. You know what I mean? Where yeah. he's he does let out all of the people from uh-huh. the prison and right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He frees people yeah. from Blackgate Prison and he also breaks Batman's back, and which is both of those things are in the Nightfall comic. So yeah, yeah, and and they they. What's cool is they bring back Killian Murphy as mm-hmm. Scarecrow to be the judge right. over all of these proceedings. Yeah, yeah, it's cool that they incorporate him. He's come back in all three films. That's cool. So. Yeah. Right. Bane has no authority here. This is merely a sentencing hearing. No choice is yours: exile or death. There's a lot of things in this film that I really love. I really love. So I'm not trying to shit all over the film. I just, (laughs) it does seem to me that being, since they had more time between The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, more time than they had between Batman and The Dark Knight, Uh I just wish that a little more care would have went into the story as far as ironing out some of the issues that I've kind of mentioned. And maybe these aren't issues to Christopher Nolan, and that's fine if he loves it. This is his thing. I just, I look back at Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, and for me, those are really good pieces of meat with very little fat on them and the dark knight rises has a lot of fat that you i feel you can trim off Mm -hmm. and and so uh, looking back on the film it just doesn't it feels off a bit to me compared to the first two films yeah yeah so you showed up this one day a cool car pretty girl on your arm we were so excited bruce wayne billionaire orphan I mean, we used to make up stories about you, man. Legends. And, you know, with the other kids, that's all it was, just stories. But right when I saw you, I knew who you really were. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character in this, uh, John Blake, I think his name was, uh, I like that character. I think it's underutilized a bit, and uh, the 
content's not really a whole lot there for him to play, but what he has to play with, I think he does a really great job, and he's very sincere in the film. And I love where they leave him off. Yeah. Uh, the whole you, what your real name is thing, you know, I could take it or leave it. it. I didn't hate it, but at the same time, if it wasn't there, I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> right, right. You should use your full name. I like that name. Robin. And then we have a new vehicle introduced for Batman in this film, which is called the Bat. And it's this kind of, it's very, I mean, they have to use CGI to make it mm-hmm. real because it can't be real. They had a real mock-up that would be pulled around on wires. But yeah, it's like a it's like a helicopter type thing. Yeah. But I mean, I thought it was pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Uh, and uh, well, of course, we get tumblers back, but mm-hmm. this time they're in Bane's hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the camo ones. Right. Yeah, yeah. I knew Harvey Dent. I was his friend. And it will be a very long time before someone inspires us the way he did. One of the actors that we haven't talked about that plays a very important character in all three films, and I think they give him really interesting things to do in this film, but a good old Commissioner Gordon played by... Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah, right, and he's so good in it. I mean, he's an unconventional choice. I remember when they named him for the first film, I was like, that's really weird. He usually plays bad guys most of the time, but yeah. he plays it so well, so very earnest right. and honest, and so... He's, yeah. yeah right. it's He's so great. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned her before, Marion Coltiar, I believe, is her last name. Right. Uh, she plays Talia uh, Razagul's daughter. And I really love what they did with the relationship between, well, the relationship between her and Bruce Wayne. I like that chemistry between them, and I, th- I feel it. I, f- I think it's real. Right. But also the relationship that they, they eventually reveal uh, between Bane and right. her. Right. And they, don't, they, they never quite really explain. Right. Exactly, and they shouldn't. A whole lot of they, well, they don't. You know, they keep them pretty mysterious. Yeah, rightly so, and that's for the better. Yeah, yeah, extremely. Well, right, right. Yeah, so that would just end up. They explain that too much. It would end up being another issue with the film, I believe. Yeah. So uh, they keep him mysterious. You see a little love between them. You know what he did for her, and he's there to protect her. And I love that. I think that's great. The league took us in, trained us, but my father could not accept Bane. He saw only a monster whose very existence was a reminder of the hell he'd left his wife to die in. Unfortunately, uh, Marion, she, as Talia, uh-huh. she unfortunately gets one of the worst death scenes ever. Why <laughs> Nolan let that fly? That is, it's, it's so bad. I know it's harped upon a lot, but it's really, really bad. Prepare yourself. My father's work. So, yeah, uh, I, I do have affinity for this film, definitely in pieces. It's fragmented a bit for me, uh-huh. but uh, I think there's stuff in there to love for sure. There's just a lot of issues, and, and time hasn't been kind to those issues. They've kind of point them out more instead of fade away. And so that's kind of where I sit on the film. I um, didn't hate it as much as everybody else. You right. know what I mean? Well, I, mean, I wouldn't say that everybody hated it. I right. just think people were disappointed. For sure. You know what I mean? And I mean, I, I, I mean, I definitely didn't think it was as good as the first two. Right. No, exactly. But I enjoyed enough about it. Me too. I, I enjoy enough about it to be entertained while I'm watching it. Uh, but it's just the more you think about it. But but. Um, I enjoy. I, I think I just enjoy the Tom Hardiness of it all. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do too. I think he's superb in the film. I don't think I have one issue with any of the scenes he's in. He's 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 phenomenal. And then 
when it is done, and Gotham is ashes. Then you have my permission to die. So all of that stuff, and then you get to the very end, and like the other two films, it ends on that crescendo of like all of these things are paying off that they've set up, and so you have Bruce having his happy ending, and 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 Alfred seeing Bruce have his happy ending, yeah. which is a happy ending to Alfred. And then, of course, John Blake going into the Batcave and rising up. He's not necessarily becoming Robin, but... More like he's taking over. Right. Yeah, Yeah, he's rising to the occasion to become the new Batman. And, I mean, going out on that note, all of those things coming together and really paying off, that music swelling and everything, I mean, that is easily a way to cloud your mind of any issues you might have with that film while watching it. It's only on retrospect that you go back, you start watching that movie again, and you start seeing the issues, and you're like, okay, yeah, this isn't holding up quite as much. But even then, when you see that end, it's still Gets it, your heart swells, yeah. and music's going, and everything. <laughs> right. You walk out of that thing, you don't remember any issues. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, I'm pumped. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and then, really quickly, talking about the score that was done for these Nolan films, mm-hmm. uh, done by the great Hans Zimmer and the great James Newton Howard. They came together and they did a very unique score, especially for a superhero film, mm-hmm. uh, right. where it's not a really hummable theme that you're going to get for your, for Batman's theme. It's going to be this perpetuating beat right. that has this right. theme behind it that can be done like one of those regular themes where you can use it as a really robust theme of heroism and stuff. But also you slow that down and you can get it to mean different things like sorrow or it can be kind of a romantic theme. Yeah. But I love what they did with this score. And then also, of course, you know, he comes up with that weird off-putting theme for the Joker in The Dark Knight. Right, right. And then in this, Bane gets his own theme, too, and it's very, like, beat-heavy, very drum, uh-huh. very in-your-face. And I think that's brilliant. So just a fantastic score for all three of these pictures, and uh, I just I absolutely love them and hold them up high. Not as high as the Danny Elfman ones, just because that's more of a nostalgia thing for me, uh-huh. but they're right up there. Okay. So The Dark Knight Rises comes out July 20th of 2012 and ends up doing like a billion point eight million or something like that. Right. Doesn't do as big as The Dark Knight, but still really great phenomenal numbers. And it, mm-hmm. it's another one of those films that's just gigantic. And a lot of people still hold it in high regard just for, uh, if nothing else, for the performance of Tom Hardy as Bane. My brain, yes, that's my name. You hear the name, man, I guarantee you, man. I'm coming after you. 
On the animated side of things, in 2013, we get another Batman series, this time done completely in CGI, very much in the vein of, like, Star Wars Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was pretty cool. And this is the first animated show that was ever done where Batman's in all black like he is in the movies. And right. it's, it's a pretty cool show. It only went one season, and uh, I was unfortunate because I think they could have done a lot of really cool things with it. But mm. uh, I liked it a lot, and uh, it's definitely worth checking out if you're a Batman fan. You guys gotta check out these new subwoofers I installed in the back. I call them the dogs. Listen to them bark. Ah, ah, can you turn that down a little bit? This is a song I wrote for Wildstyle. Darkness. No parents. So as we get into 2014, we're gonna see Warner Brothers bring in a new interpretation of Batman. Yeah. And if you're gonna have fun with the Batman persona, this is the way to do it. They bring in Will Arnett to voice Lego Batman for the Lego movie in 2014. Yeah, yeah. You think you're my greatest enemy? Yes! You're obsessed with me! No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are! Who else drives you to one-up them the way that I do? Bane. No, he doesn't. Superman. Superman's not a bad guy. Then I'd say that I don't currently have a bad guy. I am fighting a few different people. What? I like to fight around. The Lego Batman character in the Lego movie was so popular, he ended up getting his own spinoff movie, uh -huh. the Lego Batman movie, in 2017. And Will Arnett is so perfect for this role. I already love the guy anyway, but yeah. the, the what he gives to the character and the, the way they make fun of him and, and, and all interpretations of the character of Batman, from the comics to the movies, all the movies, they're making fun of everything Batman in this movie, and it's just a lot of fun. And Will Arnett's voice, the way he's just so hyper-masculine and uh, ego-driven as Batman. It's so funny. Yeah. Then in September of 2014, Fox premieres a show called Gotham. Oh, yeah. This series follows James Gordon as he first gets into Gotham, and it, it, it's really an origin story for almost every Batman character in it, and it definitely embraces much more of the fantastical mm -hmm. of uh, Batman and comics and stuff like that. You can see them taking elements of a little bit of everything in the show. It took me a while to come around to it because, it, one, it was Fox, and I don't trust Fox. They usually cancel things in a heartbeat and you get invested in them, and then you're like, well, fuck, now, what, what was that all about? Right, right, but, uh, right. They actually ran this thing to completion and had a final and everything. And so I finally came around to it, really liked it, the way they embraced everything. And uh, I just think it's cool to see all the origins of, you know, Bruce is a kid in the, the series, and we see him grow into the Batman persona. Mm -hmm. And we also see young Catwoman and Penguin. All of these things really embrace well. Uh, most of the actors are really good. Ben McKenzie is the one who plays James Gordon. He does a great job. Uh, there's a few squeaky wheels as far as uh, actors in the film, but most <laughs> right. of the people do really good. And they also give a lot of great homages to some of the lore of the comic book history. They embrace a lot. So it's a really fun series. If you're into Batman, I totally recommend it. There we go. So he comes out of nowhere, saves you and Barbara Lee, and just disappears? Yeah. So the dude's on our side. I think so. Friend. So as we move into the next film iteration of a Batman, 
what we have to come to terms with is that uh, a lot of the fans that came aboard with the Nolan films who were really into the hyper-reality, yeah. that is going to be challenged because Batman's new world that he's going to be living in has a man in a red cape that can fly around and is almost completely indestructible. So yes, the right. minute you imply that is going to be in this world where Batman lives, then you can't come at it with the same kind of, of terms of like, I'm going to try to base this in a realistic world uh-huh. because that just is impossible. So that immediately is going to start isolating fans that liked the realism. Yeah. And, uh, being that Batman's a part of a business, which is Warner Brothers and all of the people that own the Batman property, they are going to try to pander the character to both audiences, which is a mistake. Uh-huh. Uh, so they're going to try to go after and honor the comic book things and get the comic book fans in. And they're also going to try to get a tone that can maybe pull in those realistic people. And that's where the problems start beginning with this film that's going to eventually move into 2016's Batman v Superman, directed by Zack Snyder. Right. Yeah, when we first talk, started talking about this movie, about these two going at it, like, you know, fighting each other, I thought Batman fights Superman. I was like, oh, that's easy. Because well, on one hand, you have, like, this kid from Kansas who is uh, rule of law, human rights, whatever. And uh, if he saw Batman, he'd be like, bro, you can't just beat these guys up in the alley just because they stole this old lady's purse. That's not cool. And then I knew that from Batman's point of view, he'd be like, you are like this scary unilateral like depiction of the future that no one could stop. If you decided tomorrow that we couldn't take care of ourselves, there's nothing we could do about it. We just have to rely on your good graces. And I'm sure most people, once you heard and know who Zack Snyder is and you know he's going to be directing a film that has Batman in it, you, there's no way you're going to think, oh, this is going to be hyper-realistic yeah. be- because of his aesthetic and visual anyway w- from all of his films. He always has a heightened sense of reality anyway. And so yeah. w- what you I went in expecting was, of course, that the, it's not going to be set in a realistic world, but it's probably going to be set in a fantastical world where the characters Characters are playing it as real as they can, uh-huh. reacting to strange things happening in that fantastical world. And that's what you really got to come at this Batman representation uh, with that expectation. Yeah. Uh, I'll say right off the bat that uh, once it was announced who was going to be Batman, which was Ben Affleck, of course, uh-huh. uh, because before they officially made him their pick, they announced some other people that was supposed to be Batman or could be possibly Batman, which was like John Hamm and Josh Brolin. And Josh okay. Brolin, I already am a huge fan of, so mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow, that would be awesome because it's a very gritty kind of Batman I was imagining him playing. Mm-hmm. Um but Ben Affleck ends up winning that. I mean, honestly, the first thing I thought was like, well, well wait a minute, that's not, you know, I'm, I, I was thinking of them doing the sort of the origin story, the new Batman, he comes out, he, he you know, rediscovers himself, he, he wants to avenge his parents' death, he fights the supervillain. I thought, that's not me, I'm not that, that Batman, you know? Right. And, uh, and Zach was like, no, 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 this guy, he's like, he's older and he's really 
fucked up and he's broken down and he's on the edge of moral bankruptcy. I'm <laughs> <laughs> clearly your man. <laughs> so at the time that it was announced that Ben Affleck was going to be Batman, mm -hmm. I, I still at that time wasn't 100% on board with, with Ben Affleck. Anyway, every time I, I heard his name mentioned, even though I saw some of the films that I thought he was really great in, like uh, I thought he did a, a great job uh, directing the uh, Gone Baby Gone. Uh -huh. I really liked The Town. And I thought he did tremendous in uh, Argo. So yeah. I thought all of those films really showed off his potential as an actor and director, storyteller. And so, uh, but every time someone would mention him coming up, I couldn't help but picture like Geely. Geely and Jersey Girl and right, yeah, yeah, Reindeer uh, Games right. and yeah. Well, yeah. Ugh. And so there's like Armageddon even and uh, yeah, Pearl yeah. Harbor. Yeah. And so all of those movies are the ones that flooded to mind. So of course I was like, oh man, like what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. And then uh, one of my favorite directors, David Fincher, ends up casting him in a movie called Gone Girl. Right. Right. And yeah. uh, when I finally went to see that film, I was like. All right, I'll get off your back, Ben. Yeah. Then right. the next announcement came that uh, they were going to make the costume that Batman wears more comic appropriate and get away from the all black costume of the film. Right. And so right. then I started being like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah, what are right, we doing right. here? Because I was so in love with all of those Batman film costumes mm -hmm. that moving into a gray and black or blue and black. I was hoping they weren't going to do blue, mm. but uh, they announced gray and black, and so I was like, oh, how is this going to work? And whether it be Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman, mythologically what they represent and what they can represent becomes more emotional. It becomes more about sort of where we are as humans in this modern world. We're expected to either rely on our religion or we're meant to rely on science. And there's not really a sort of middle ground. But eventually, uh, March of 2016, Batman v Superman comes out. And uh, the buildup to that, uh, seeing trailers and seeing what Ben looks like in the suit and how big Ben got. Like <laughs> right, ben right, worked right. his ass off yeah. and got freaking huge for this film. And I love the way how big and how monstrous he looks in that suit. I love that. I was right, totally right. on board going in and wanting to see exactly what he was going to pull off playing Batman. You know, I got in the best shape that I'd ever been in, and then I sort of got past that as we were going for this idea of like a big, hulking, kind of like thicker, bruiser sort of physique, which wasn't like lithe and, and ripped. It was more like big and, and brawler 15 months ahead of time you know I was training four and then five and then ultimately six days a week and it's hard to add muscle to your body you know especially at my age it's tough and uh, but that's what we did and I ended up putting on about two and a half pounds of muscle a month and really really changing my body completely before I get too far into it well how about you what did what did what so did you my I guess my opinion on Ben Affleck as Batman was I thought it was pretty good I thought it was okay I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like so attached to the Christian Bale Dark Knight trilogy right. that, that it's hard to, he's never going to match that for me. And I already have all these preconceived notions of who Ben Affleck is, you know, but he got, he, you know, he definitely rose to the challenge. Like, he, like you said, he's a big dude at 6'4", right. and uh, he, he got so fucking huge for that, and it <laughs> looked <Right>. cool. <laughs> right. The, the best part, you know, and the best correction that Zack Snyder did for this character was the, um, 
the voice correction with that oh man artificial voice which uh, you know that's the one thing if they could right. somehow go back and insert that into right. the dark knight trilogy the movies would be perfect you know oh yeah tell me Yeah. But uh, I thought it was so fucking smart, and it sounds so cool. It's kind of yeah. like, kind of like the Bane thing on the original right. sneak peek release of the way he sounded. I thought that was so cool and and so kind of mechanical. And but uh, he just had this spooky howling thing, and it, and it made perfect sense that they would do right. that. That that Bruce Wayne would do that to just to so far far disguise his voice and yet still sound very menacing and intimidating, and you know, right. Yeah, I loved that vocal effect that yeah. Ben Affleck had. Yeah, yeah. the voice changer in the Batsuit is one of those things that comes along every once in a while where something outside of the comic book will invent something that I think is revolutionary to the character or the lure of Batman. Yeah, and that's one of those right. things. I don't always need it in every interpretation of Batman, but for this interpretation of Batman, how monstrous Ben got as far as how big he got for the role, mm-hmm. it adds that next level of intimidation to the voice that I think makes him sound otherworldly mm-hmm. which is what Batman would want and so uh, right. yeah I absolutely fell in love with that voice changer and think it's a, just a stroke of brilliance whoever came up with it Zack Snyder or whoever you know again same thing holding Dark Knight trilogy and up on a, this huge pedestal for me right the the Batmobile was a bit of a step down because it's not the tumbler, it's not as utilitarian, and it's all CG. Where oh, yeah. you know the the idea, if it, it, maybe I would have had a little more respect for it. Does kind of cool looking, okay. but the the fact that it's kind of cartoony and and uh, it, I would have really liked to have seen a live action version of that thing. I think I would have really liked it because, I, like I said, from a, from a design standpoint, I think you know it's like it's like a an evolution of the tumbler a little more almost usable version of it you know right and uh it is cool definitely looks like they went for that you know yeah like, right let's, let's take this and make it a little more sleek and small and right 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 but i guess that's the fact that it was all cg that kind of bugged me and 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 coming off of nolan's like i uh, the least amount of cg right. possible everything practical you know right it's hard for me to step into that it's over dead shot I don't want to do this in front of your daughter. Overall, you know, because he was in the other, he he, he may have cameos in suic- the first Suicide Squad, right. and um, of course the two versions of uh, Justice League. Justice League. What are your superpowers again? I'm rich. For me, what Ben brings to the character of Batman is something that I I really responded to in the uh, Frank Miller The Dark Knight Returns, yes. and that is this Batman that has, you know, could have been very well been a Batman similar to the Christian Bale Batman, where he's like, no guns, that's the rule, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But Gotham has just gotten so bad, and things just keep getting worse, and he keeps thinking he's making a difference. Right. But as time goes on and things get worse and more people are dying around him or needless crime is happening, this Bruce just says, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> right. 20 years in Gotham, Alfred. We've seen what promises are worth. How many good guys are left? How many stayed that way? 
And I really responded to Ben playing that. He plays it grim and dark, and you can tell that he's just beyond all hope almost. Mm -hmm. And you really do feel like there's this chance that, uh, well, I mean, you get in his way, he's probably going to kill you if you're in the path of what he's trying to get to. Mm -hmm. There are these other little idiosyncrasies that Ben gives the Bruce character that I absolutely love. Uh, There's a scene where Bruce attends this party thrown by Lex Luthor, Mm -hmm. and he's there to basically hack into one of his computers. And so he excuses himself from the party, goes down. Finds this place that he needs to hack into, and he gets caught by one of Lex's assistants. May I help you, Mr. Wayne? Oh, uh, I just thought the bathroom was down here. I must have that last martini was uh, too too many. I think. When she's questioning him, he's trying to pull off that kind of aloof, suave Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. But you can tell he's kind of rusty at playing it. He's so sick of playing that part that he's kind of rusty at playing it. So he doesn't come off quite as smooth as he wants, and he recognizes that. Mm-hmm. But then the capper is, is as she's leaving, he says this line. I like those shoes. And the way she responds to what he just said to her, she's just kind of like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> right, the yeah, yeah. And the way Bruce responds to what he just said to her is all at the same time, like, disgust with, like, that's the best I could do. And, like, God, I hate being out here and being social, <laughs> a very introverted right. kind of thing, which I get because I'm, I'm an introvert. And so I really love that. Go upstairs and socialize. Some young lady from Metropolis will make you honest. But then as he goes back upstairs and he's confronted by uh, Clark Kent and Kent starts asking him a bunch of questions. At first he's putting on that uh, Bruce Wayne exterior where he's kind of smug but yet a bit vacant. Mm-hmm. Mr. Wayne, Clark Kent, Daily Planet. Daily Planet, Wait, do I own this one? Or is that the other guy? And then once Kent starts pushing him on like how bad the Batman is and stuff, you can see that all fall away. Mm-hmm. And I love how Ben plays that because then he starts getting more direct and personal. I really, really love that. The Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the laws. A little hypocritical, wouldn't you say? Considering every time your hero saves a cat out of a tree, you read a puff piece editorial about an alien. If he wanted to, could burn the whole place down. Maybe it's the Gotham City in me. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. And uh, so, but I love Ben's performance as Batman. I think he does a beautiful job of tap dancing between the the high voltage rage that he has, mm-hmm. and then also that kind of festering hatred, and then finding humanity at the end. Because this is an overarching theme, which is right. uh, I again I love that about it is that you see where Ben is at the beginning of this Batman v Superman film, and how things start to change through his uh, remorse or guilt through uh, what he has done about uh, his rage towards Superman and how wrong he sees that he's been. Mm -hmm. And then also the conflict that he sees coming and how much they need a person like Superman and and working together and all of that stuff. Getting him back in the team spirit instead of I'm alone, vengeance kind of guy. And so I love the way he plays that and how he gets to play it through all the overarching things. Like you said, he has that cameo in Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back in the good version of uh, Justice League. And uh, I think that that performance really does connect one to the other. It's like a puzzle piece. And when you look at it in that overarching theme, 
Ben does a fantastic job of really getting to the center of what gets this Bruce, this Batman, uh, to tick and what elevates the character to back to humanity from a lost soul mm-hmm. that you see at, at the beginning of Batman v Superman. So I really I really love his performance in this. I think he does absolutely great. I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us. Not us united. One of the things I, I want to go back to real quick, though, is what uh, Chris Nolan was talking about when he was doing the fight scenes for Batman Begins and how he wanted Batman to seem almost like a monster lurking and and the, the fight scenes to be really ferocious and stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel that even though the, it didn't work what he was doing for, uh, in Batman Begins, I think Zack Snyder nails it with Batman v Superman. The Batman fights in Batman v Superman are what I've been waiting to see on film and Batman just ferocious. And yeah kicking ass left and right and yeah he gets hit he gets stabbed he gets shot like towards the head and you see that it's a metal plate that's in the bat cowl and love every bit of that that fight scene in that warehouse there towards the end of batman v superman is just the creme de la creme awesomeness that i've been waiting my whole life to see in a batman fight and thanks to Zack snyder i finally got to see it yeah I saw Batman versus Superman in the theater with some friends from work, uh, and okay. uh, I, re- I think I was kind of like, it was one of those ones that I kind of had a good time with it in the theater, and then as each, each day went on afterwards, right. It started. It, I thought about it, and it, I, could, I was realizing that I'm not remembering much. Not much is sticking with me, and then right. it's kind of thinking, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't, I don't right. Know. And I'm still kind of like having questions about, wait, what was going on? I, re- you know, I really love Henry Cable as Superman. I think he's of course fucking awesome as Superman. Right. Yeah. But but you know, they had that rehashed, re-edited version. Yeah. For the, to prep for the Snyder Cut version of Justice League. And I watched right. that. I think it's like another half hour longer, right? Right. Yep. And you know, again, I, I watched that before s- sitting down to watch the Justice League Snyder Cut and, and being re-excited by it. And, and it's sticking with me much better and really enjoying that version of the movie better right. than the, the shorter version. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I arranged for you to get transferred to Arkham Asylum in Gotham. I still have some friends there. They're expecting you. When Batman v Superman came out, I was still working in the theater industry, so I got to see it a little early, and I fell in love with it, even though I will admit it definitely has some issues. Uh-huh. Uh, but as a comic book fan, I uh, just, to, just to be clear, when I say as a comic book fan, I'm not trying to reference that as if I've got a community behind me <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. Because the comic book community is actually a fractured upon fractured upon splinters of fractures. <laughs> of, uh, of a, it's barely even a community, because everyone has their own idea, which is great. Mm-hmm. But every Everyone has their own idea of what Batman should and shouldn't be. So I'm not saying it for that reason. I'm saying it more to reminisce about how big of an impact Batman made on my life, reading those comics from like five years old all the way up till today Mm -hmm. and seeing all of these changes that Batman has gone through and the inconsistencies in some of the forms that he's come in in the the comic book world. And so uh, seeing Batman v Superman tapped into so many different loves that uh, I loved of the uh, character 
reading him in a comic book. Yeah. And uh, I hinted at it a bit when we were talking about the Nolan films that I love Batman Begins because it was Nolan still embracing some of the fantastical of the Batman world, even though he was heading towards more realistic stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, but as the Nolan films go on, he embraces so much of the realistic that he gets away from a lot of the fantastical. And uh, seeing Batman v Superman, I never realized it until I saw that, that yes, this feels more like Batman to me than anything I've seen in a while, just because it does embrace a lot of that fantastical stuff. Mm. It is a Gotham City that I don't know that skyline. It looks dark and grim and grungy and all of those things and the Batmobile although it's not my favorite interpretation of the Batmobile by far I still love that it can do all of these fantastical things and, mm. and I love seeing Batman jump and his cape perfectly go out to see make a bat symbol and stuff like mm-hmm. that I love those things and I didn't realize how much I missed that until I saw this film and so that's why I fell in love with this film too is that it reintroduced me to this kind of geeky love that I had for the fantastical Batman right right all my friends are heathens, take it slow. I walked out of Suicide Squad angry. That movie <laughs> pissed me off. I right. hated it. I hated it. Right. Hated. Hated, hated, hated. Right. And I tried to like it. I went in there so excited, wanting to like it. And then just this big grin slowly turning to a flat face to a frown to a snarl and i, I kind of remember coming out of the theaters with clenched fists right like, what the fuck just happened and it, like i could see the reshoots like right yeah. in front of my face just being splatched in and trying to make this movie something that it wasn't and it felt right. so just and i'm not a big will smith fan i just don't like him right. don't forget we're the bad guys so right. sorry will smith fans I saw Suicide Squad in the theater as well, and uh, I had a lot of issues with it too. Not so much that I couldn't enjoy it, but uh, the tonal thing that you already mentioned, uh, them getting in and trying to make it a little funnier and be like a Marvel film. I had a lot of issue with that. Anytime it gets all tonally wonky, I start to really have issues. So that was my main issue with the Suicide Squad. What? You got something better to do? Come on. Uh, but I loved what they did with Harley Quinn, and I love—I even like Jared Leto's uh, Joker a lot. I know that uh, a lot of people hate that, but what do we have here? I liked seeing a new interpretation of that character. A little over the top, for sure, but uh, I dug it, and uh, I loved all the Batman stuff in it. So I took away th- enough from the film that I liked it, and uh, I could see some good qualities in it, for sure. And I would have loved to have seen the evolution of what Leto would have done with that character uh, had the movies gone on. Or even seeing his original uh, interpretation of it, since there was a ton apparently left on the floor. But Yeah, the only thing I liked about the Suicide Squad was the Skrillex song that came out of it with uh, <laughs> um, what's his name uh, Rick Ross the rapper uh, Purple Lamborghini song that song's dope as fuck that's it that's it you wanna know my name go and tell us you wanna know my game I actually went to see the uh, Justice League uh, theatrical version in the theaters on opening day. And uh, thank goodness that they finally brought out Zack Snyder's original version because I got to see that and absolutely loved it when it was released. I'm excited for fans to get to see this giant four-hour movie that's completely singular to their investment. 
if you followed the first two movies, this movie really kind of takes you into a completely immersive scope and scale. I watched it, sat through the whole fucking thing, and really, really liked right. it. You right. know, I, I thought, yeah, this is good. And and really calling, uh, enjoying Ben Affleck in that role, and and thinking he carried it well. And right. he did. He does have the kind of um, a darkness to him in the suit that looks menacing. You know, right. and I think yeah. because of his size, it's more of that later interpretation of Batman that where he really kind of looks the part in that suit. Totally. With the, a little bit of the gray with the black and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it looks really cool. Oh, man. Yeah. Goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's funny. You talk about people who died in my arms. Because when I held Harley Quinn and she was bleeding and dying, she begged me with her last breath that when I killed you and make no mistake, I will fucking kill you, that I do it slow. I'm that Hans Zimmer is pulled back into the DC universe for Batman v Superman, and he brings along a guy named DJ Junkie, and they both work on the score for Batman v Superman. Uh-huh. Uh, Batman gets a new theme in this film, and I think it's a really good theme, and it really fits the mood of the film. Uh, I don't think the theme is quite as good as the uh, previous two that we talked about are my favorites, I guess I should say, which is the Elfman and the uh, Hans Zimmer, James Newton Howard, uh, Dark Knight trilogy uh, Batman themes. But this has a good theme, and it it, it definitely is pulling more from, the I think, the Hans Zimmer uh, uh, theme Uh because it's very perpetuating beat. But there is a theme in there, too. And then there's even a separate theme that's very uh, sorrowful with this lone female voice coming in to really hit home the sorrow or the uh, impact of uh, the tragedy of Bruce's history and everything that's happened to him and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so both of those themes kind of play against each other and in a really good way. So I really like this theme. Again, not my favorite, but I I do like it in the way it uh, accents a lot of the uh, tone of this film. Mm -hmm. to our last but not least honorable mention from October 4th of 2019 we get Joaquin Phoenix as Joker you don't listen do you you just ask the same questions every week how's your job are you having any negative thoughts all I have are negative thoughts We don't have to spend too much time on this just because, well, honestly, one of us isn't very favorable of the film. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, I did want to mention it just because it mentions one of the most well-known villains to the Batman universe. And it also is set in Gotham City. And we do get to see Bruce as a young little tyke and on his unfortunate uh, tragedy that befalls his parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I just think it's a spectacular performance by Joaquin. If someone would ask me what my favorite Joker is in live action, I would definitely point to 
Joaquin's performance in this. Mm. I just feel it's so tragic. Again, it, it responds to that level in me that loves that tragicness in the villains. Mm. And uh, I really responded to it. I think it moved me more. I think you can very visibly see the mental illness in this one. And it felt the most real to me. Mm. And so if you're going to bring things into the real world, I think this is the one that's done it to the most success for me as far as there being very little fluff and uh, just taking it as a raw film. I really enjoyed this film. And there's also, though, there's flourishes of comic book love in this film. So it really touched a lot of different nerves for me, and I still really love this film a lot. And it was said to be a one-off, although it made a billion dollars at the box office, and it was on like a $40 million budget. So for some reason, I think that they're still going to try to find a way to sequelize it. But I hope, I hope, I hope it stays just a one-off film. And it is what it is, which is a little art piece for me. But uh, anyway, yeah, I responded to it. I know you're not too favorable on it, even though you like Joaquin. Uh, yeah, I, I still didn't like it. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. That's why I didn't want to talk about it very long. I just wanted to hit on it. And uh, I just think Joaquin is extraordinary in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April. But well, we finally reached that point in the show where we can begin to wrap this show up. Yeah. I'm sure everyone out there is probably sick and tired of hearing us, mainly me, I'm sure, talk about <laughs> right. my geeky love of Batman. Uh, but uh, before we do that, I want to talk about my geeky love of Batman real quick and just <laughs> narrow it down. All of the Batmans we talked about, uh, narrowing it down to my favorite and uh, my comic book geeky love of Batman stemming from my love first on, on page and then on TV and then on the feature film is going to split my answer. So uh, my first foremost favorite film Batman is going to have to go to Michael Keaton just because he was my first big screen Batman that I got to see and he completely changed the way I looked at the character. Yeah. And so he will always be my nostalgic love of the character of Batman. So that's who I pick as my mm. favorite Batman. But a very close number two would be Ben Affleck just because he represents the comic book love mm-hmm. of of what I fell in love with, especially right there in that heart of 1986 when The Dark Knight uh, Returns came out in the graphic novel. Frank Miller's, he represents that character to me so well that that has to be the closest to to Keaton that you can possibly get so far. I mean, I always keep it open. So, uh, but yeah, those are my picks as a geeky comic book geek. <laughs> and I'm sure we all probably know that Tim, yours is going to be Christian Bale, right? Right, and then I think for me, being a non-comic book geek, mm-hmm. th- this is my Batman. This is the Batman that I I right. will probably die go to go to the grave with. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right. Unless unless Jason, you know, Robert Pattinson does something cool. It's right. hard to say. Yeah, you never know. That's the whole thing. You could have a favorite, and then uh, right. And but at the same time, you know, I kind of do that. Regardless, like, look at how wrong I was about Batman Begins. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's always a little bit of that memory of that, mm-hmm. you know, even when you're going into this, like, Ugh, right. Please don't fuck this up. <laughs> right. I'm vengeance. And so that brings us to Matt Reeves' The Batman with Robert Pattinson and uh, Paul Dano as the Riddler, which, mm-hmm. uh, again, I'm a sucker for vocal effects. And mm-hmm. the vocal effect on Paul Dano's voice in these trailers... It can be cruel, poetic, or blind. 
but when it's denied, it's the violence you may find. Justice. Yeah. It's the coolest fucking thing, man. Yeah. His voice yeah. is so dope, and I love Paul Dano as a as a performer. He's yeah. Like it's a great, it's a wonderful choice. It's one of those choices that it's not Robin Williams, and it's right. not you know, yeah. all it's not going for the big heavy hitter to try to pull people in. Right, right. It's something more uh, intelligent and more right. calculated and right. Yeah performance oriented yeah yeah I, I, even the choice of commissioner gordon uh jeffrey wright i think is so wicked oh man he's that so, dude is that, that dude is so good he was so awesome in westworld and uh yep and what's really funny too is they the warner brothers on hbo max if you have hbo max they have little audio dramas that they did all new like podcast adventures mm -hmm. of batman yeah he does the voice of batman oh wow jeffrey wright does oh that's cool and he's got a great voice yeah batman to robin I'm in position and have a clear line of sight on the hostage. And to Harvey. He left his thugs with the hostages downstairs. They're all yours. So the the one reservation, the one thing I'm a little worried about on the Batman, I don't know if you are too, but I'm a little worried about the Catwoman character. I just... Uh, it's uh, unlike in the Dark or Dark Knight Rises, it's a, a little more costumey and... Right. I hope it works. I'm a comic book fan. Yeah. So... I'm seeing stuff that I grew up on, so right. it's a different world for me. Right. You're seeing it, and you're you're coming from I love less is more. Yeah, and that's yeah. the kind of stuff that, as I said in, earlier in the cast, that when as Nolan's films go on, mm -hmm. the I I like less about them is that he's pulling away from that more because Batman Begins embraces that more, mm -hmm. and as the movies go on, he's pulling away from it. And so, as a comic book fan, I'm feeling more and more isolated. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah, I guess I, I, I kind of uh, dig into the realism and um, how does how do you make this character stand in the real world, you know? Right. And and for me, that's the kind of shit I dig on, which is why I dig the Dark Knight trilogy. Right. And um, that's kind of what I see in this one. But also going in with that kind of um, almost there's a there's also a little bit of a dark whimsy that from the Tim Burton films I feel in some of the scenic shots of what oh, Gotham yeah. City looks like you know what I mean mm -hmm. it's a very modernized mm -hmm. kind of like a ghettoized version of it you know but there's right. still there's something about it that's in a way almost uh, reminiscent of the Tim Burton Go Gotham in right. the first 89 Batman right yeah so I'm excited Me too. All right, then, on that note, if you guys want to comment, you know, go ahead and comment. You know, all that shenanigans on the social medias and stuff and interwebs mm. and emails and... Mmm, ticky-talks and... And in, in the meantime, we'll, be, we'll see you next month, same bat time, same bat channel. Oh, you did it. <laughs> I'm going to hit the bat button. Oh, do it, little chum.